Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Another edition of your favorite movie podcast, the tap-dancing, fence-building, child-raising duo known by its witty stage name, Horse Perspective. This is episode 88, Oscar Mania 2017. I am your host, Sports Guy 515 and on this episode, yes folks, it's that time of the year again, it is Oscar season, and as is tradition here on Force Perspective, we will preview the 89th Academy Awards ceremony with a recap of the Golden Globes, plus reviews of Best Picture Contenders, La La Land, Fences, Hell or High Water, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. And as always, we will end this special episode with our Top 10 Best of 2016, as well as our Top 5 Worst of 2016. Before we jump on this roller coaster ride, allow me to introduce my co-host. First, my normal more perspective co-host, sporting a beard that would make Casey Affleck jealous, ladies and gentlemen, Adolfo. Uh, yeah, he's got a pretty decent beard in that movie, though. I can't, I can't throw any shade at, at Casey Affleck's beard. He's got the good, like, homeless white guy thing going for him. <laughs> the good hobo beard, right? Uh, 
And uh, last but certainly not least, returning to Forrest's perspective, a man whom you will never find tap dancing in a park with Emma Stone. Ladies and gentlemen, Brandon Draven. <laughs> I'll tap dance in a park, but it won't be with her. <laughs> now, I'm going to get to that when we get to that review, but she looked uh, she looked quite uh, weird in, the, in that movie, and I'm going to get to her because uh, hmm. I'm going to cut a promo on her. You're going to cut a promo? All right. I, I, I mean, just, just, I mean she, yeah, she's not my type of girl. Let's just put it that way. And she... she she needs to eat a couple steaks. I think that's that's what I'm trying to say. Got to get some meat on her bones, is what you're saying. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, Draven. Like, probably, the, the, the more weight she loses, the the wider her eyeballs get for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> the, the, the golem eyeballs, right? <laughs> there you go. That's what I was. <laughs> um. So, uh, Draven, what are you drinking tonight? Actually, it's a work night, man. I'm not drinking tonight. You're not drinking I'm tonight. Oh, so you're gonna, you're gonna be sober, sober for the show. So I'm gonna be pretty mellow here tonight. Awesome, awesome, bro. All right, so um, let's get this show started. So we're going to start, like, you know, as I always like to say on this show, um, the Golden Globe Awards are the Oscars, essential, essentially the Oscars Royal Rumble. So um, Golden Globes were a couple weeks ago, and I just want to recap that show quickly because um, we got a pretty decent idea of, like, who the main contenders are going to or I should say who the main contender is going to be with the Oscars because I mean I think La La Land pretty much swept everything it was nominated for. Uh, Adolfo, um, what did you think of the ceremony overall? Did you agree with the winners? Did you have like uh, uh, disagreements? I should say different opinions. Like what did you think overall? Well, uh, with the Golden Globes, the Golden Globe is kind of this weird event. It's kind of like a almost kind of a seen as a joke in Hollywood because people show up kind of drunk, uh, and then you know it, it's it, it's not nominated by the industry. It's nominated by the Hollywood Foreign Press. Uh, and the Hollywood Foreign Press has been kind of gotten like the reputation in the past that like if you just kind of cozy up to them and like buddy up with them, like you're probably more likely to win the award than than otherwise. Um, it, it is a decent predictor of, of, of the Academy Awards, but this, but you, but what the the asterisk is you always have to remember it's not the industry voting for those for, for the awards, unlike the Academy Awards, which is the industry voting. So you you do kind of get some uh, variation here and there. Um, and the, the one thing that I do like that, that, that the Golden Globes do, does is they split it, split the categories into drama and comedy. So it kind of allows for more kind of uh, out there choices. For example, Deadpool getting nominated in musical or comedy uh, alongside uh, La La Land and Florence Foster Jenkins, which is something you thought you probably didn't think you'd ever see. Um, for the most part, I, what I like about the ceremony is that it's it's pretty quick. Like they don't spend a lot of time on like video packages and like people making speech, except for one speech, uh, people making a lot of speeches and like uh, showing you how like, you know, exactly what a sound editor does. And I'm not trying to, you know, uh, dismiss sound editors or anything. I'm just saying like they're it, it kind of keeps it to like the the OK, here's a, here's a award for best actor. Here we go. Casey Affleck moving on. Here's best actress. Here you go. Moving on. Here's the you know, they just keep it going. You know, and there's not a lot of bits. You know, there's an opening monologue and then you kind of don't see the host again until they just introduce people. And that's it. So um, not any real surprises. La La Land sweeping a lot kind of made sense. I think the only one that was really kind of surprising was um, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson winning for Nocturnal Animals. I thought that was a weird choice, uh, especially when a lot of the people think it's the Moonlight was going to win that one. But yeah. other than that, um, yeah, it, it was pretty predictable. I agree. I agree. I mean, I, mean, I was happy for La La Land because, you know, as we'll get to later, uh, 
I'm a big, big fan of that movie. Um, so just real quick, just to kind of recap the main um, awards from the Golden Globes that night. Um, Best Supporting Actor, like you just mentioned, Adolfo went to Aaron Taylor-Johnson for Nocturnal Animals. And uh, Viola Davis got Best Supporting Actress, Best Actor. Uh, Ryan Gosling got it for La La Land for Musical Comedy. And Casey Affleck, your beard bro, got it for Manchester by the Sea in the uh, Drama category. Best Actress, Emma Stone got it for La La Land, Musical Comedy. And Isabel Huppert for L for the Drama category. For um, <laughs> our boy Paul Verhoeven, bro, who I haven't seen that, in like that, 20 that's years. A, that, that's a great film, by the way. That's a great film, by the way. Very, very good. I film. hear that's like his comeback. Like it's it's pretty. Uh, I heard it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's not. It, it's, it is. It's not a Paul Verhoeven kind of film. It's a very serious, very deep subject, and uh, he did a great job. And uh, yeah, that's that's a, that's a great movie. Check it out when you can. Definitely. Does it have anybody saying the lines? They sucked his brains out. Like they oh, do with Starship Troopers. Oh, it does. Because <laughs> that's my favorite line from any Paul Verhoeven movie ever. <laughs> I think I think Paul Verhoeven is probably one of the most misunderstood filmmakers there's ever been. I think people don't really understand what he was trying to make, especially you know during that time. And the whole thing about Paul Verhoeven is that he's kind of a he he lo- he loves satire. And, and oh, yeah. a lot of people a lot of people th- play think his movies are more straight. And does they kind of misunderstand his films, but they don't understand that, you know, he's in on the joke for most of his films. And uh, that, that's that's kind of a shame because he's a great filmmaker. Yeah, I, I think people really severely un- misunderstand both Starship Troopers and RoboCop. I don't I think they re- people really don't actually get what's going on there. Like it, what, what I think is kind of amusing is that, uh, you know, a lot of people watch those movies and take them as straight action movies, but they are just pretty heavy satires. Right. So, 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 who won the uh, best motion picture for the Golden Globes? Uh, we got La La Land, best musical comedy, and Moonlight, which I thought was kind of a shock because I thought Manchester by the Sea would get it, but they won the uh, best picture drama. Um, and Damien Chazelle took home two for best director and for best screenplay for uh, La La Land. So, um, uh, Draven, I don't know if you really followed the Golden Globes much, but like, did you uh, like out of these winners? Do you agree with them? Is there like? Is there something that you disagree with? Like, what do you think overall? Oh, I agree with all of them. Um, you know, you see all the nominees, and they all kind of either any 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 anybody could have won. I mean, if Deadpool would have won everything, that would have been surprising. Or even like like Sing Street. Did you guys ever get to see Sing Street? You know, I have I have uh, I have it sitting in the top of DVDs from Netflix. So it's that's actually that's yeah, actually I have, top ten of the year. Great. Film. I've heard it. I've heard it's really good. I yeah. haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. It, I it's like. Uh, I have that and Swiss Army Man, and I, but I'm going to be watching oh, both. Yeah, those, 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 are, those are my top ten when we go through the list. Both of those films are in my top ten. You guys are missing out. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm going to be watching them hopefully the next week because I have them both on DVD. And so uh, the thing about Sing Street is that it's funny how they categorized it as a music or a comedy, but it's it's the soundtrack that's very powerful, but the, the, the film is a straight narrative. Uh, but it's actually, you do you do come out of it just thinking of the soundtrack. It's very 80s. You know, if if you went to that kind of music, it really hits home, and uh, it, it's it's a great film. That that, that guy's a great filmmaker. Um, he was the same guy that did. Uh, I think what was the film he did? The one that that won um about ten years ago. Once. That's, once, yeah, once. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, another they, great film. Yeah, I think it, they made and, that. And, and, and it's funny because once now this just hit me right here. Uh, without getting to spoiler territory here, once. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it has almost the same message and narrative that La La Land has in a lot of ways. 
So um, it, it's it's weird how that that just came into my head right now. We're talking about both of these films. <laughs> oh, we'll definitely get to uh, like the La La Land theme because um, what I loved, uh, not to get ahead of myself, but what I loved about it is that especially you know the mind that that Damien Chazelle has, like Whiplash and La La Land are essentially about this have the same themes. They're about the same subject, but it's just very told in starkingly different rays, you know, and I think that's what makes it better, like, you know, Whiplash is the more cynical film, and La La Land is the more kind of upbeat, you know, but it's about like the same thing, which is, you know, I found fascinating. Right, right. And uh, he also co-wrote 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that for a while either. That's also in my top 10, so this guy's all over the place with his talent. He he could, uh, he's he's definitely not a one-trick pony. He could hit the genre films, he could hit the the straight dramas, He, he could do it all. Now, didn't he also co-write uh, or co-write Grand Piano, your favorite movie? I hope not, bro. Because I, 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 I think he did. I think he's a know, part of it I will say this. I will say, say this from talking to other cinephiles is that I guess I'm in the minority because a lot of people like that movie. I just thought it was just a ridiculous concept and the performances I, I didn't really care for. But I seem to be in the minority there. So, so, uh, so with that one, do you think like they were just bad performances? Like they couldn't be saved by like wackiness or anything? Well, I just thought the movie is just really wacky, like. Uh, but uh, you know, like too just, wacky, not, not not wacky, like a, a little past exactly. the point. Like wacky is fun, hey, you, you know. You you saw it, right? You saw it. Yeah. So you I, I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah, and, and but people love that film for some reason. It's just something, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't know, bro. I mean, it is wacky. Like it just it, it's it's wacky. It's like how do I say it? It's basically wacky acceptable wacky but then it crosses that line at a certain point where it's like uh, it's like now stupid wacky you yeah, know there so you go. yeah basically but uh um to wrap up the globes jimmy fallon hosted you know i mean jimmy fallon's a guy like I, I can tolerate jimmy fallon like i remember like five six seven years ago like i was way into like watching jimmy fallon like we did the late night show you know it was Pretty good. I actually attended a, a couple of his tapings when he was doing the the twelve thirty five show. What you're trying to say is that you can't believe that this guy's still a thing, right? Pretty That's much, yeah. To... It's like you know, he got the Tonight Show. I don't think he's really right for the Tonight Show. He he kind of made turned it into an extension of like what he used to do on late night, which I mean, I guess works because like he's pulling in ratings. But you know, I'm more into like I watch Colbert now. I watch like you know Kimmel. Like Jimmy kind of stayed away from a uh, Fallon now. Jimmy Jimmy Fallon is like the late show host for the millennials, like that. That's who he is. Like, cause he does all those things. Like when you see people like sharing the stuff on Facebook, it's always millennials. It's always. Uh, and I know you're a millennial, Mark, but still, <laughs> it's always millennials. It's always like the uh, the quote unquote post, post 87. Yes, yeah. let's get it right. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, he doesn't bother me. He's fine. Sometimes he's funny. Uh, some, but most of the time, just like, all right, dude, just get on with it. Yeah, I mean, he did an all right job. I mean, the uh, opening package where they did the La La Land was pretty wacky, which you know, but the good wacky, and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then uh, Meryl Streep got the uh, Cecil B. DeMille Award and pretty much spent her entire speech trashing uh, President Donald Trump, which was pretty hilarious. Um, I know you got a kick out of that, Adolfo. Uh, I did really appreciate her uh, her speech. 
Um, I'm not going to get too into it. I know you wanted to hear me get all fired up, but <laughs> but I, I'm trying not to get, make the show political. But uh, pretty much, if you want to look up the, the YouTube clip or the or the transcript, I pretty much agree with 100% of the things that she said. And I know people are like, "Well, celebrities shouldn't, you know, fucking talk about politics or whatever." But you fucking elected a celebrity, so you shut the hell up. So I, I don't know. Uh, now, was she getting like, was she getting booed or cheered? Was there no, she got reaction? cheered. She, she got, got cheered. cheered, bro. But they, there's an epic shot, bro. I don't know you've seen it it's, it's been floating around the web of like vince vaughn and mel gibson just staring at her like angrily like i i mean everyone knows like vince vaughn is like a conservative mel gibson's a conservative so like there's a screenshot of them like watching meryl and they're like pissed off it's pretty funny actually uh, have you seen it draven no no it's pretty funny actually I, i'll send it to you like it's just it's floating around the web even still right now because now there's i heard i read some reports for like deadline or I forgot what website it was where like I think um Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson are teaming up to do a movie about police brutality or some shit and it's like uh oh <laughs> what are they gonna talk about there? But uh whatever bro. Um but that's the well, golden well, globe. Well, I, well I, we gotta talk a little bit about Mel Gibson later on because uh you know this guy's like a cockroach you know he's he's you know he's kind of a like of an asshole. I mean well he's, he is an asshole let's be real mm. about it. And 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 yet he comes uh he comes he keeps on floating over water you know he he did hacksaw uh, ridge which, yeah. which was a phenomenal fucking movie like great movie I saw that one I remember me and my brother went to the theater and it was between that one and Arrival and at that time you know we had to choose and we chose hacksaw ridge and we had a great time with it and um actually we we made the right decision because later on I saw Arrival and and I'm also one of the guys that it you know for all the love it's getting it was like okay you know it's not not the greatest film in the world but you know again i'm in the minority there and um and then he also did blood father which you know yeah. I, at first i'm thinking okay so this guy's stuck in, in straight to video purgatory you know uh where a lot of his kind go to go to die and shit but no he comes back up and he did hacksaw ridge and i'm sure he's an, that's gonna open up other opportunities for him so as the director he's doing just fine and uh you know and a lot i hate to say this but uh, good for him in a lot of ways I mean, Mel Gibson is – he's interesting to me because, like, I pretty much disagree with almost anything he stands for. But, like, I, I'm capable, unlike, you know, uh, people on the other side of the political aisle, uh, I'm capable of divorcing, like, personal feelings of, like, what people might think politically or act politically uh, from, like, the art they create. And um, I, Mel Gibson's a freaking phenomenal filmmaker. He just is. Like, the, there's no real denying – that he's a talented filmmaker. Uh, I haven't seen Hacksaw Ridge yet. It's on my. It's it's. Yeah, I'm gonna be watching it soon. Uh, I've heard nothing but good things about it. Um, but I mean, just based on his past work, he's a he's a fantastic director. Even things like Passion of the Christ, which I don't th which I don't think is a good film. Uh, it's still a very well crafted film. It's a very well directed film. It's just not a film that I particularly want to watch ever again. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, and it's kind of one of those things that like I'm. I'm willing to forgive Mel Gibson because he's actually talented. So, uh, you know, it, it's not, you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Hexar Ridge, and I think that this is kind of like you're right, a resurgence for him. There's another movie I haven't seen, Bloodfather, but there's another movie from like three or four years ago uh, called Get the Gringo. Have you seen that one? Yeah, was, yeah, uh, that's, another, like, that, that's that's another good film. Yeah, that's another like straight to video like pulpy like action kind of movie that he did that i i, I really did enjoy so uh, i i would recommend that one as well for some if you, you if know you what, what's cool about him is that he he you know 
when Hollywood turns their back on you, and and again, a lot of these old school fucking '80s uh, action stars, they all got the same treatment, right? They all, they they're all passe. Uh, you know, our audiences today are way too cynical to have like an action star nowadays, so they end up in straight to video purgatory, right? Which and you got to give this guy credit because very few of them ever get out. And he he got he he was in like you said he was in there for a couple films, two or three. And he got out, and now he's back to filmmaking. And um, last year was him and Cuba Goody Jr. who got out. He also got out of straight-to-video purgatory with that uh, O.J. Simpson. Simpson. Yeah, yeah. so he's back on the mainstream. Then he also got the uh, American Horror Story gig for the uh, sixth season. So uh, props to both of them, because it's hard to get out. Once you're in there, you stay in there most yeah. of the time. Um, before we kind of segue into like the, the main reviews portion of the, of the show, Draven, did you see Silence? I did, I did, and and, and uh, I had to be talked into it, um, and I even hit really? you up, remember? Because because the thing is, um, one thing I don't like is these films that are very uh, like preachy or or like you know like you could tell like the filmmaker like you could tell that was uh, Scorsese's passion project, right? Yes, it was. And and that film is uh, it's a heavy film, it's a heavy subject. Now once I started watching it, I totally got into it. Because it's something that we could all relate to, you know, in, in the uh, as far as faith and, and and all that stuff and you know religion, and I love how he tackled both sides of the coin, right? And and so, but I could totally understand why the why the Academy didn't nominate that film because it's a heavy film and it's not for everybody. Yeah, um, we're gonna. I'll get to a little bit about Silence, like my, my personal opinion of it, like later on when we do our top ten of 2016. But I want I brought it up because I wanted to ask you since you've seen both. Silence and Hacksaw Ridge, which one had the better Andrew Garfield performance in your opinion? I think Hacksaw Ridge did. Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen Hacksaw I, Ridge, that's why I can't comment. Like, I've only seen Silence, but I wanted to get your opinion since you've seen both already. Yeah, no, I think definitely Hacksaw Ridge did. I think he had more depth in Hacksaw Ridge, whereas um, in Silence he was playing a more linear character all the way up into the end. The end he had to kind of change it up a bit, but uh, yeah, Hacksaw Ridge for sure. Awesome, awesome. But All he right. had two great performances in a year. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. For a guy, that, that's awesome. For a, for, for a guy that lost his fucking Spider-Man gig, that's pretty good for him. Right? <laughs> he, he was terrible at Spider-Man. He was all wrong with that part. Which we've and discussed was, many times on this show. Did you guys see that viral the viral video where he's out there in Hollywood like taking pictures with fans and with under the Spider-Man getup? So he had a good hum- he had a good sense of humor about it. Yeah. That's true. But uh, I guess we can now segue into our uh, movie review. So these first two films I personally have not seen, but they are nominated for Best Picture at this year's Academy Awards. Um, the first one is actually the winner of the Best Picture for Drama Golden Globe Award, which we just mentioned. That would be Moonlight. Um, Adolf, I'm going to give you the floor for that one. Um, get us started. Tell us about Moonlight. Uh, so Moonlight, it's it's – it's, um this one's a little difficult to talk about uh, because it's not a conventional story. It's it's more like a uh, it's kind of like a biopic of someone who doesn't actually exist. You know, it, it's um it, it's a story uh, and it's told in three different acts of uh of a kid named <clears throat> uh, his his nickname is Little, um and that's what they call him throughout the film is Little. Uh, and you know the first act is him as a young like a little kid. The second act is him as a teenager. And the third act is him as a grown man. Um, in the first act, you see that he's a uh, 
and it bears mentioning that this is a you know a, a kid for a poor black kid from like a a, a not very well for basically the ghetto. I'm not sure where. I think it's maybe Miami. I'm not sure. Um, but is, isn't it Atlanta? Is it Atlanta? It's in the South. I thought okay, maybe I thought it was Miami though. But um, uh, he's a uh, he's a poor black kid, uh, and he gets he's constantly picked on uh, throughout the first act. You know, he, he's he's kind of an outcast. You don't really quite sure, not really getting exactly why he is in the second act he's shown as a teenager still kind of an outcast and you're gonna get and then it's kind of revealed that you know he's a he's gay uh and you know he's he's a gay black kid in a very tough neighborhood it's not exactly the the best situation for him to be in uh and then in and you know he kind of strikes a friendship with this one with this one guy um uh, who I'm, I'm forgetting his I'm forgetting his name already. I think his name is Kevin actually in the yeah. film. Um, he's actually a friendship with Kevin, who kind of I'm not going to reveal too much, but they they kind of have sort of a falling out. And then the third act uh, is whenever he's he's grown up. He's a, he's a he's a man. He's a he's pretty much a gangster at this point. He's selling drugs and he's a he's a pimp and uh, he's pretty much all jacked up and built huge. Uh, and he's basically not at all the same kind of weakling kid that you saw in the first two acts. And he gets a call from Kevin and they kind of um, they kind of reconnect and kind of share their life experiences with each other. And that's the film. So it doesn't sound like a very dynamic film. Um, but what this film is actually, so I think it's being hailed because it is uh, a portrait of a person uh, of a, um, something you don't really see a lot in, in film. And it, that's, you know, gay black kids from, you know, uh, tough neighborhoods. It's not something you really see see portrayed on film a lot. And it is a very uh, engaging film. It's a very interesting. Film. It's a very well acted film. Um, I think the third act is very uh, is very riveting. Uh, whenever the two finally reconnect after like ten years apart or fifteen years apart, something it's a, like a really long time um, that that the, the two reconnect after all this time. Um, I I really. I don't want to say enjoyed it because it's kind of not uh, an enjoyable film. It's, but it, it's certainly a film that I respect, and, and I think it's a very uh, artistically well done film. Um, I think uh, the first act uh, with uh, Ma, I, I'm trying to going to butcher this poor man's name, Maharshala Ali. I think it's how you say it. He's he's uh, he's getting a lot of awards buzz. People are kind of predicting. I, 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 I don't I don't I don't personally don't think he deserves a nomination for this film. I don't know what you think, but well, I was just gonna say like he's getting a lot of awards buzz for best supporting actor. I thought he was good, but he's in it for like maybe ten minutes. Like he's got so little screen time. It's kind of hard for me to justify him getting any sort of award. Um, and and I'm not saying that he's a it's a bad performance. I think it's a good performance, but it's not. It, it, I, I, after hearing so much buzz about it going into it, I was like, "Oh, that's it!" <laughs> like he's he's barely in the movie, you know. He's barely in. The, he's got maybe three scenes, right? He's got the scene in the in the beach. He's got the scene at dinner, and then he's got the scene where he meets a little kid. And that's it's like, those are three scenes, right? That's like it. he, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I would say that's it. Uh, I will say that the dinner scene at the end, that, he did a great job where he's showing disappointment for the kind of person that he is. Yeah, and uh, that's that's pretty much the last time we see him. Um, and and I, one thing I was gonna ask you, because I mean, I guess we we're spoiling this movie left and right. Because did you feel well, I mean, that? The, don't well, spoil it too much, but go ahead. No, I was gonna say, uh, because the whole gay thing. Did you feel that was a reveal or a twist? Because um, more of a reveal, because I didn't see that. Well, I didn't see it in the trailers. I saw this movie cold. So when that came, it was definitely a reveal for me. 
you know and I, and I don't know if the people that haven't seen it if they how they would take that 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 second act you know the the, the scene in the beach with Kevin and um uh so that's what I would say you you said it already so um but but yeah uh, I just, the thing ahead. is is that, that I'm not I don't think it's a reveal because I mean if you go and watching it cold it is a reveal um but the thing is, is that I almost every review that I listened to or heard or read mentioned that sub they don't necessarily say what happened on the beach or anything like that, but they mentioned the fact that it's a gay black kid. So uh, it's, that was kind of spoiled for me, like just going into the film. If you, if you consider that a spoiler, I don't know, but uh, I just thought thought the way the filmmaker shot it, it was supposed to be like this big reveal mm -hmm. because there's absolutely no hint of that. Other than the fact that they teased them when he was a little kid. Right. And, 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 Everybody kind of knew what was up, you know, his mom and and so, but they never outright say anything up into the the scene at the beach, and um, so I always thought the uh, Barry Jenkins shot it almost like with this big reveal, and that's how I took it. And um, one of the things I gotta say about this film is that it's filled with dread, like from the beginning to the end, like you get this this very uncomfortable feeling watching. It's like I don't know if you agree with me, Adolfo. It's just like this film that just has this dread all over it and not necessarily because of the subject matter just because of uh of the guy's life like you know he hasn't had the best life and you know he has all these issues and just how uncomfortable the third act is like you know between both both kevin and and little it just i mean if that yeah, was you, yeah sorry go it, ahead. Just, it was just it was just very uh uncomfortable to watch and i and I'm, I'm sure that's what the filmmaker wanted so he hit a home run in that sense it's like you're watching it and you feel kind of weird and it's almost like like there's like some voyeurism going on. You're seeing these two guys just when you really shouldn't be. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was a good film. Like I'll never watch it again. But, uh, you know, <laughs> everything that everything that Barry Jenkins was trying to convey in this film, I think he I think he did it. And I think uh, it was a good film. Yeah, I think that um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It, it is a very uncomfortable kind of scene. Uh, especially, you know, especially at the restaurant, whenever these two are like clearly kind of happy to see each other, but they, there is that weird tension in the room based, based on how everything went down the last time they saw each other, you know? Uh, and it's, it's, uh, yeah, I think my only real major criticism about this and what makes me from like fully embracing it as like the best movie of the year, like a lot of people say it is. And I I think, I think it's still in my top 10, but it's not. It's just not my favorite film of the year. Uh, it, is that I really don't want to spoil it because because Mark hasn't seen it, but there is. Uh, so I'm just gonna talk around it. There is a reveal that Little tells Kevin about how he's lived his life, like the last you know 10 or 15 years, that I just don't believe at all. Like he's he's a basically about how he's chosen to to act upon his homosexual uh, behavior. He what he reveals about that. I'm like. Nah, bullshit. I don't believe that. Like, I just didn't believe it at all. I thought that was really, I, I thought that was a false, uh, it, it was a false note in the story. Uh, I, again, Mark hasn't seen it, so I don't want to re- spoil that, but uh, it, it, I'd like to get Mark's opinion once he actually sees it. What did you think about that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I agree with you. Um, and w- one of the things, too, that, that like, like you, you kind of brought it up when you were giving your original review, this is really... I don't even know if it's a three-act structure of a film. It's really just one, you know, it, it never goes into second gear. And then all of a sudden the movie's over and you're like, okay, well, that's it, you know. And again, it was a very powerful film, but 
there's so much more they could have explored and it's almost like it, the film is very condensed and in a, in a way that's good but in another way it's like it kind of wants you um it, it doesn't give you more. And actually, for all the acclaim is getting, you really never know anything about Kevin or or uh, the character of Little. You know, it's just they give you the basics and that's pretty much it. So that, that's another thing that kind of left me dry. It was like I kind of wanted a little more for all the acclaim that was getting. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. I could definitely see that. And when I said three acts, I meant more like there's three different chapters because there's three different it's him and three different points of his life. Right. Um uh, the other thing I, I would kind of like to point out, I did like uh, Naomi Harris's performance as uh, as his mother. Uh, right. What I think is very uh, impressive about it is that apparently she only she shot all of her scenes in like two days because she was uh, it, for those who don't know, Naomi Harris is uh, Miss Bonnie Penny in the new Bond movies. And, uh, you know, she was tapped to play this role and she basically only had like two or three days while she was out uh, promoting Spectre last year. And they got her like in between press junkets, got her on set, filmed the, like filmed her scenes all at once and then sent her back out to like do the Bond stuff. So like, I think that's actually really impressive that she got all that. I mean, granted she's not, she's, it's a very, it's a smaller role, but it's still to me impressive that like she got, she, it's such a condensed performance in a, such a short period of time that she did it. And and I know it's I guess it's somewhat like you said it's based on somebody that we don't know and and we probably will never know, but I'm also wondering why did they have to write off the you know the Juan character so early because his his girlfriend or wife or whatever she's still around when he's a teenager and I'm thinking right. was that something that the director yeah I don't know I don't know what that was it, about it was just weird how all of a sudden you know they just reveal what happened to him and it's like okay well he's gone and and that's it so um. But I would, you know, if people love movies or films, I would definitely encourage people to check this one out. As far as making it like a Friday night date movie, oh, absolutely go, not. Go, go look for some. <laughs> go look for some. As, uh, is, this is this is gonna, you know, it's gonna leave no, you the, with to think about. This is like this is a film with a capital F, right? Like this is like one of those. This is like not a movie. This is a film. Like you you sit down and like watch this when you wanna when you wanna watch something like artistic. It's not something for a good time at all. Personal too. You could just yeah. Uh, I I will say I did want to actually one more thing I did want to kind of praise about the film is the cinematography. I thought it was a beautiful looking film. I thought the cinematography was like really on point on this film. Yeah, yeah. and it was distributed by A24, which is a production company that's been distributing some pretty good films over the last. They've been on fire lately. You're right. Yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. They're in the game now like that. They're like they're almost kind of like the new like Miramax of New Lionsgate. Like they're the they're like the new kind of indie rising indie uh, company. Right. Awesome guys, that's a good discussion, man. And um, I'm well, it's part of the Best Picture nominees, so I will be seeing it at my uh, annual Best Picture uh, 24-hour marathon at least once. So uh, I'm very, I'm really looking forward to checking that. I'm gonna out. try to go. Try to go, huh? All right, that's good. Oh, I already well, tickets. Good. I'm going. Yeah. Okay. How much are they going for this year? This year they were sixty-five. That's but, not too bad. But you get like a thirty-dollar like bonus on your AMC stubs for like refreshments and stuff. So it's essentially like you're get you're getting free refreshments. So like you're getting a thirty-dollar ticket plus refreshments, so which is pretty cool. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, sixty-five for what? Is it nine movies? It's I nine think? movies. So yeah, and then that's you like get, seven. That's like seven bucks a movie, more or less, right? So. 
plus plus eat and drink. And I mean, that's like a good thing. And thirty dollars worth of like you know food and drink. So that's pretty good. Also, they they give you a voucher, so you could no, waste no, no, it that well, day, or you have. Okay, how it works is the morning of the of the the marathon, they automatically put thirty dollars on your uh, AMC Stubbs card, and you can use it like for the whole day on like popcorn or soda or like snacks or whatever. Um, if you don't use it by the end, they take it away. But it, so it's only for that day. Yeah, the only problem is that with thirty dollars, you could buy what like one tub of popcorn, <laughs> right? <laughs> and like a small soda, bro. Like that's how it is now. So, so they don't have no ins and outs. They, you, you have to stay in there the whole time. In the, um, in the, in the... Well, last year, last year they like you can watch whatever movie you want. Like, I mean, it's stupid to kind of like not sit there and watch them because I mean you're paying for them already. But like there are people that like that. Oh, I saw this movie already, so they went out like to get coffee and then they came back in for like the next movie. Like they took a two-hour break from a movie they already saw and it came back for the next one. Okay. And there's a dinner break like around like six, seven o'clock. They take a, a one hour break for dinner. Like you can go out, get something to eat, and then come back. They're not very strict. I mean, I've, I mentioned this in another episode. They're not very strict as far as bringing food back in. Like, you know, we've, we've brought McDonald's back in and they didn't say shit. You know, we've brought like mad other stuff in. They didn't say shit. So they're, for at least for us, they're very lenient. Right. Okay. Mm. I'm ready to sit. go with my, with my film. Yeah. <laughs> Um, just taking a sip of my beer. By the way, I'm drinking Miller High Life tonight. So oh, shit, you're drinking there. tonight. Okay. Yeah, Actually, uh, I, I just went to the fridge and I got me an uh, 805 IPA. So oh, nice. I'm gonna have a couple, I have a couple of them. Uh, me and Big D, we, we did a couple shows over the weekend. We did a Royal Rumble preview show and then we did the Royal Rumble post show. So um, I had some beer left for that. I have one hour left on that Royal Rumble post show. And uh, when you got to that six-star discussion with Meltzer, I, I got had a good laugh at a lot of the references. And you know what I'm talking about, so. <laughs> <laughs> or do I? Because I was pretty intoxicated by that point. Oh no, you weren't intoxicated enough because you refused to comment on the uh, question that Big D had for you, which was which was a good choice. <laughs> so, um, anyway, but um, so uh, I know you're anxious, Draven, to talk about this film. You had high, high praise for it, even back I think June, July over the summer when uh, when it first came out. Um, and I'm glad people remembered it because it's now nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars this year. That is Hell or High Water. So, uh, Draven, the uh, floor is yours. So, Hell or High Water is pretty much like a like a modern day western in a lot of ways. It's very it's pretty it's character driven most of the way, um, and it deals with a couple of brothers. Uh, play uh, they're they're the Howard brothers, Toby and Tanner, which is wacky right there, played by Chris Pine and Ben Foster. Uh, ben Foster, by the way, one of the most underrated like character actors in Hollywood right now, I think. Every time he gets a gig, he hits it out of the park. So uh, the Howard brothers, uh, it's revealed that they're, they, they rob banks. And they don't rob big banks. They're robbing these small town Texas uh, banks, um, specifically a, a, a chain called Texas Midland Bank. And you have uh, on the other side of the fence, you have two Texas Rangers um, Mark Hamilton and Alberto Parker, bro, that's a name right there. <laughs> they played by uh, Jeff, the great Jeff Bridges and Gil Ber Birmingham, which is another good little character actor that shows up from time to time in little movies. And um, so what, what's revealed is that um, uh, the Howard brothers, they're actually robbing the banks to pay off the mortgage of their ranch to the same bank that they keep on robbing. So it's weird. And so um, you have that story going on. 
And then you have the Texas Rangers' storyline going on at the same time, which takes place. Uh, you re- the, their storyline is revealed through their banter, which is great, by the way. It's very well written, very quirky and, and witty. Uh, one of the uh, one of the Rangers, uh, Jeff Bridges' character, he's about to retire, and you know the uh, the other Ranger, uh, Parker, he keeps on kind of busting his balls over that, and you could tell that they have some sort of connection, even though they kind of you know that whole deal where. They kind of uh, hate each other throughout the movie, but they have respect for each other. And that, and that really pays off at the end of the film in, in an unfortunate way. Um, so the entire film is basically a back and forth. It's almost like vignettes of back and forth. You have the Howard brothers robbing banks, and then you have the Rangers on their tail. And through that, you kind of figure out both of their motivations in the, in the story. Um, and, you know, and going into the third act, uh, the brothers finally make enough money to go and, and wash the money through gambling at a casino. And then they, they make a checkout to the same bank that they were robbing so they could go pay off their mortgage. And um, it, it eventually ends in a, in a, in a standoff between the Rangers and, and, the, uh, and the brothers. And, you know, uh, that's when the shit hits the fan and there's a big shootout. And I think that's as far as I'm going to go with that because the film is still pretty new. So, have any of you guys seen it? Yeah, I saw it actually two days ago. Uh, I, I really love this film. Um, I thought it was... Um, I, I'm actually kind of surprised it got nominated for an Oscar because it's not the kind of movie that usually gets nominated for Oscars, right? I just, I, a, I just thought the writing was just phenomenal. Like, you know, when you're writing a script... See, a lot of people understand the, the art of writing a script and dialogue. I thought... Everything in this film is carried through the dialogue. The entire story is carried through the dialogue. And more specifically, the the, the Texas Rangers' entire motivation and, and the reason we care about them is made or broken by the dialogue and by the the performances of Jeff Bridges and Gil Birmingham. Without that, you ain't got nothing. you know. So I thought it was phenomenal in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, I, I, I thought like, um, you know, it's just such a... You know, when I was when I was watching it, and um, uh, and I, after, after I watched it after it got nominated for all the awards, and I had, I had heard um, you know, good decent buzz about it, but it kind of disappeared uh, after like once it hit theaters, it kind of disappeared, and like I didn't really hear anybody talk about it again. So I kind of watched it, and it's like it's such a just this very very good, very tightly wound, very neat, compact uh, story about like you said about those two bank robbers and the guy who's going after them. Uh, and and like kind of the psychology of everyone involved in the mainly uh, the the Jeff Bridges character and the um, Chris Pine character Chris Pine who did an awesome job in this film like I think oh, I don't think that phenomenal. what's that he was great he was phenomenal he was fantastic like I know people might like some people kind of like don't think he's that great because he's a pretty boy or he's Captain Kirk or whatever but he was really good in this film I really I really thought he was excellent um, Jeff Bridges I think you know Jeff Bridges is kind of like Meryl Streep at this point where he just kind of like shows up and like does a great job at something you know and like people just lavish him with awards and stuff so like so like you can expect Jeff Bridges to be good in this because he was there were times where he might have been a little cartoony but for the most part he, he was, he, does he does he have it up or is that Jeff Bridges because he, I, think that's, I think that's talks. Jeff Bridges yeah I think it's just <laughs> Jeff Bridges but it was still it fit the character it fit the movie right yeah it totally worked for the movie especially like when it when things get really serious about like I don't know like uh, I don't want to give anything away, but something happens where like he gets really serious all of a sudden, and it it, it doesn't it doesn't seem out of place at all. Like he's no, it doesn't. Yeah, it, it, it's at, and then like his kind of 
his anger throughout the rest of the film is totally it's totally believable and totally um on point so uh i really enjoyed this film i thought it was such a it's you don't get like like little like kind of small uh kind of crime movies like this really anymore that like have like such high esteem and and have such like good pedigree like this film does um uh, i i really really did enjoy it. i think that uh ben foster should have also been recognized by the awards like for for award season on this film because like you said Pretty much any time I've seen him in anything, he knocks it out of park. He was in a except for X Men, he was, but that movie sucked anyway. Um, yeah. He, he uh, that was the first time I ever saw him. He was in the X Men: The Last Stand as the as Angel, um, but and he was kind of a pretty boy character there. And like and in everything I've seen him in, he hasn't been that character really. Uh, like he was really good in the film The Messenger. I'm not sure if you ever saw that. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and uh, what was the other? Oh, in 310 to Yuma, he played kind of like the scumbag cowboy. He was awesome in that too as well. Yeah, Survivor, so, he was great. I didn't. I didn't see Lone Survivor, but uh, yeah, he, he's a great actor. He should have, I think, gotten a little bit of recognition in this for this film. But anyway, um, yeah, I, this is a total, absolute, one hundred percent recommend for me. This is in my top ten of the year. Nice. And and I I also love how like you, you know the the film deals a lot with the shades shades of great characters, right? Because they're introducing you to these bank robbers, and and you know for all intents and purposes, they are the bad guys. But but as you find out throughout the story. Um, you know, they're doing some. They're they're, they're pretty much kind of uh, the everyday man trying to get the ranch back. You know, and that's their entire motivation. But the Texas Rangers are these two kind of like by the book ethical characters that you also start to find out their flaw in their own lives through their banter with each other. You know, so so I love that whole dynamic. I'm always the sucker for a film that introduces us to characters that you know they're not all white or all black. They have a lot of shades of gray, and really depending on the personality of the person watching the film, uh, that's who you're going to root for, you know? I mean, you have a lot of straight-laced, you know, patriotic, you know, American men who would, like, they would be like, no, the, the, the Howard brothers, they were wrong, and that's that, and don't relate to the Texas Rangers. Where on the other side, you have, like, blue-collar workers who identify with the Howard brothers. So I, I love the kind of films that play with, you know, personalities like that. So that's another thing this film brought to the table, and I thought that was pretty cool. So, yeah, this is one of my top ten of the year, for sure. Yeah, there's a scene in a diner um, where the where the where Jeff Bridges is kind of asking asking some questions about uh, about the bank robbers, and they're like very clearly not being very helpful because they right. you could tell they they absolutely agree with the, what these guys are doing. You know what I mean? I, I I thought that was it's a very interesting uh it's a very it was a very interesting way to to play that up. So yeah, this. I can't say enough good things about this film. This is, I don't want to give too much away either. Cause like, cause, because you got to see it for yourself, but and it, it goes, I think it goes really fast. Like when I watched it, I thought like when it was over, I was like, oh man, that was, that was quick. Like it went by really quick for me. Cause I was so. The thing is that it, it never stops. Like the first scene yeah. is them robbing the bank. And then once that's happening, it's just, you're along for the ride. And you know, they're on their ass right off the hop. So, so it's it's also like a good road movie, an old-fashioned road. That's something. That's another thing I didn't bring up is it also kind of a, you could call it a road movie. There's also, like you said, there's a lot of tension. The diner scene is pretty has a lot of tension because they're literally well, fuck it, I'm gonna go ahead and say not really a spoiler. They are literally next door, and the whole thing's going on. And then you also have there, there's a, there's a, there's a scene in the uh, at a police checkpoint that's also kind of tense. So oh, yeah, that's, that's a good one. It, yeah. It's a good film. It's a great film. 
Mark, you should check it out as soon as possible. Yeah, man. It really kind of it pisses me off because it was a film that I meant to see all throughout the summer, but I just after like August, I just couldn't get out to the theater anymore. And it was in my local art house for a while too, but I just like it was work and everything. I just I couldn't go after like the beginning of August, and it sucked. But I will well, I definitely mean, be checking it out for, at the showcase. I would say if you wanted to check it out before the showcase, it's on it's on every sort of like home media like thing now but if you you oh, can always okay. watch it at the showcase too yeah i mean I, I could just throw a couple bucks down and rent it then so then that could work out then because i see with with these films i want to go into them already seen them at least once that way at the second time i can just like kind of focus on the little things like performance right. nuance cinematography like really focus on that as opposed to watching the film for the first time where you're just kind of taking it all in at once you know i think it's i think it's at amazon prime now if you have an amazon prime account uh which i do i think so it's all right yeah. yeah, man. All right. Can't wait to see that one. Um, now, I remember, Draven, you were talking about Moonlight, and you were talking about, like, a sense of, like, just overall dread that, like, the atmosphere of that film. Well, our next film is just like that as well. Um, that would be Manchester by the Sea. So, um... oh, oh, definitely. There, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of somber in this year's Oscar picture. That's that's kind of sad in a lot of ways, but... Uh... Yeah, that, that's another film that's very, very sad, and uh, it doesn't let up. But go ahead. Yeah, but I'll review. get it started on this one. Uh, Manchester by the Sea, directed by uh, Kenneth Lonergan. And uh, basically, it's about Casey Affleck. And now, okay, Casey Affleck here in 2016, his previous effort before this movie was Triple Nine. And I'm bringing up oh, Triple Nine God. because I will be mentioning it again later on in the show. So it's a little bit of a foreshadowing here, but um, you had a meltdown during that episode. <laughs> well, yeah. that's one of the best you guys are, ever done. I think you guys are still talking about that movie, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, so Mr. Beard Casey Affleck plays a guy named Lee Chandler. So he's a bit of a reserved guy, kind of a quiet guy, keeps to himself. Um, works as a janitor at an apartment building in Quincy, Massachusetts. Um, so one day he gets called back to his old hometown of Manchester by the Sea, which I didn't realize which was the name of an actual town in Massachusetts, because it's kind of a wacky name, Manchester by the Sea. Um, after hearing that his brother Joe, who's played by the Alpha Kyle Chandler, is in the hospital, um, unfortunately Joe passes away before Lee can get there, you know, to kind of say his final goodbyes to him. And in a twist of fate, he gets named as the legal guardian of Joe's son, who's also Lee's nephew. Patrick, played by Lucas Hedges. Um, it's clear that this is a gig that Lee does not want, and the longer that he remains at Manchester by the Sea, the more the past, a past that he's been trying to forget, comes back to haunt him. And I'll kind of kind of leave it there because the story kind of takes off after that. Um, I really enjoyed the plot structure here because I love the characterization of Lee Chandler as this guy who's kind of just trying to escape his past. And in a way, the film's kind of structured like a mystery because it's like, okay, what's this guy's deal? Like, why is he the way he is? Like, what caused him to be so quiet? To be so, it, it, so it also it also it also fucks with the timeline a lot, which I thought was pretty cool. I wasn't expecting it, but uh, it took the thing about this film is that it took me a while to catch up to it. I don't know if that makes sense, but uh, there, there's that scene in the middle that explains why he left the exactly. town. Exactly. It kind of it, it took me a while to connect what was going on, but once I did, I was. You know, I was all in with the ride, so that was good. Yeah, anyway, and, it was, and it was structured like a mystery, like because you're left wondering for the first half of the film, okay, what's this guy's deal? Why does he not want to go back, even like to see his brother? Like, what's keeping him from this town? And then when you have the big reveal in the middle of the film, it's like, oh fuck, bro. <laughs> so that's 
that's one of those like you want to slit your wrist moments. Like after you see what yes. like what he goes through, is like fuck, bro. Like I wouldn't wish that on even my worst enemy. And I know Adolfo, I told you this. Like you know, you have kids, and it's like to see that as a parent. That's like probably the worst thing ever. But I mean, we'll get your thoughts on that in a little bit. But it's like oh, so we've all seen this film, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um. Casey Affleck was just phenomenal here. Like he played he the character awesome. really, really well. Um, I see him personally as the front runner for Best Picture. As much as I like Ryan Gosling, which we'll get to in a little bit, um, Casey Affleck fucking hit a home run with this movie, and I personally think that he's gonna walk away with the statue come Oscar night. Um, there were also well, like- when we talk about that, that might change when we talk about Fences now, because that's another great performance. And that was a one-man show essentially. So yeah. gonna- <laughs> a two-person show, essentially. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and so, um, but. Uh- one of the things that I like about the Lee Chandler character that a lot of people uh, uh, from the pre-87 generation could relate to is, especially if you're if you're born, you know, uh, like a multicultural person with with a, with a certain background, you know, the men from back then they were very prideful men and not exactly secure in their emotions, and and, and Casey Affleck carries that throughout the film. He's the kind of guy that, you know, we're trained since we're little kids to kind of, as men, never show our emotions. You know, you're a man and you deal with it internally and that's it, you shut it off. So a lot of his performance is based on on his facials, but even then he has to go through another layer and kind of be reserved, which is a great fucking talent. I mean, he did a great job doing that. Uh, you know, it's rare that you see that emotional breakdown in the character. Yes. And and so I, I th- that's what I picked. I, I thought that was just amazing because to do that, was just a, I mean, Ryan Gosling didn't come close to doing anything like that in his performance. I know all respect to him, but um, you know, uh, it's it just the the layers of, of 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 the emotions that Casey Affleck had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have he didn't have the freedom to say, okay, on the script you react this way, because even when he read, you know, you have to be sad. It had to be a, a, an emotionally reserved sadness. See that? So so that's even harder. So, and, um, and and I agree with you because the thing about like the way he played that character, the way that it was portrayed, you're absolutely right. Like he, he comes from that era where like you're not supposed to show your emotions. So instead of like being overly emotional, he's just reserved. He's just quiet, and it kind of builds on that throughout the rest of the movie until you get to that scene with Michelle Williams near the end of the movie, and it kind of just like he can't hold it in anymore, and then that's it. And that's what makes that scene much that much more powerful because. He got to that breaking point and where it's just, it's too much for him. And, 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 and not just that. Yeah, not just that. So, I mean, first of all, that scene with Michelle Williams at the end is, I, I don't cry often in movies, but that mo- that scene, like, I was pretty, I, that was, that almost hurt me more than, like, the actual scene where you find out what happens to his kids. Like, that was rough. To, that was a rough to watch moment. And yes. like both it's, actors were it's, it's fucking it's amazing in that in that scene. But not just not not only is it uh, does that earlier scene kind of explain how you know drives so much of his character and then how and how his performance you know drives the rest of the film, but also explains like the very end of the movie because the in a conventional film you would think it's it's all building to lead one way, and I was thinking oh it's gonna lead this one way with this feel good ending and everything and when it doesn't go that way you you to, you can accept it because of the what like because the, this guy 
he can't beat this depression. He cannot beat this sorrow, this grief, this melancholy. And it, it, it makes sense the way the movie ends. Oh, Adolfo, I think that's McHollywood corrupting you right there. You're, you're way, you've been watching way too many McHollywood films because uh, there's a lot of films out there that come out every year that have these kind of uh, tones and they don't give you the kind of ending you want. And, you know, unfortunately, you have the suits that kind of uh, change that in a mainstream studio film. But, but the thing is, um, one of the things that really broke me during that scene is that, like you guys said, like his ego never actually he lost. Essentially, he this character that we've been following, he he was given the chance for redemption and he did not take it. And that was the hardest thing to come out of the theater with that idea that, you know, life kind of gave whatever happened, happened. And he was kind of able to have this chance to turn around and he was just too scared to ever do it or too angry or sad and the whole the whole thing is about self-hate right like he he was never really able to forgive himself for everything that he did and and so you know we never have a conclusion to that story and that's real life you know there's a lot of people that go through guilt you know uh, with a big guilt sack you know on their shoulder and they never really let it go so i thought it was very ballsy and and again great performance yeah, and and you know to to clarify, like I didn't necessarily want the film to end the way I thought it was gonna go. I just thought that that's how the producers and the writers were gonna make it go that way. Because if this film would have come out, you know, 15 years ago, run like released by you know uh, Warner Brothers Universal Pictures or something, it would have ended in with with that with the quote unquote logical happy ending, right? Um, but and I'm glad they didn't go with that because it it, may, it makes much more sense this way. And 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 it, it goes back to like the, you know in that scene with Michelle Williams right before he t- right before he leaves, he says I can't beat it, I can't beat it. And that that is the that to me right there, those three words are like the crux of that character. Now let's talk a little bit about uh, uh, Lucas Hedges because he's got his own story. There, there's a there's a parallel going on with Lee Chandler and, and Patrick Chandler and he himself has this weird uneasiness to his character where he doesn't really know how to deal with, with his father's death and again being old school he's also kind of uh, very reserved in his emotions and he's got that in, where he has his uh, yeah. you know incredible scene is when, uh, when when Matthew Broadway all of a sudden gets a payday bro. I was, I was, for like five minutes was, of screen time <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting him to show up, but he, but he's got that scene with his mom, you know, because because uh, evidently, you know, Patrick's mom is estranged from him, and you know she has that one scene where she kind of wants to get to know him or be back in his life, and they have that very awkward scene together doing the dinner scene or whatever, and um and, and it doesn't really go well either, you know, and I also like the dynamic between Lee Chandler and Patrick Chandler where it's like, all of a sudden like. He doesn't want to deal with this fucking kid. You know, he's got his own issues. And, and you know, this kid, he kind he kind of needs somebody to embrace him. You know, he's 16 years old. And, you know, he's asking his 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 uncle if he could go, you know, fuck a chick upstairs or whatever. And, and you know, Casey Affleck's like, I guess. Yeah, you know, whatever. And that, that that's a very uh, that scene has a lot of dark humor in it, which I thought, you know, it has a lot of levity, which I thought the film needed at that time. And um, just their back and forth has a bit of levity to it with the with the with the hard topic that it's exploring so i thought that was kind of cool so yeah so he this uh this actor what's his name lucas hedges he also did a great job bro i love the scene where uh it's actually one of my favorite scenes where um patrick tries to set up lee with his girlfriend's mom like his mom like finds him attractive so like while they're upstairs having sex 
he's, you know, down there talking to her and have keeping her distracted so she doesn't come upstairs. And she still comes upstairs right. anyway because he can't hold a conversation because of his depression. Like, he just sits yeah. there like a fucking zombie and, you know, and, like, it's it scared the, the girl off, you know, so. Right, right, right. So, yeah, so that, that was a good scene. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, a couple other points I have to make, too. Like, Michelle Williams, like we kind of mentioned already, brilliant, brilliant performance, especially in that last scene, just on fire, you know. I'm still kind of matching an autograph by Playbill last year, but, uh, you know, <laughs> th- this uh, this performance, you know, I forgive all of that now. Um, and um, I also love the cinematography here, too, like the beautiful shots of the ocean, you know, the town, like, you know, especially over the, uh, the end credits, they just showed shots of the town. And how beautiful it is, like, you know, by, by the ocean. And uh, very, very great shots. I loved loved how the look of the film, cinematography, all of that was great. Just just a great movie, bro. Very depressing, but just overall just great, great film. Yeah, sometimes, also, you know, to tell a story, to tell a, a true-to-life tale, you have to get depressed sometimes because that's real life. But uh, a couple little tidbits I was going to say about this film. First of all, I believe Matt Damon was supposed to be Lee Chandler, but he had to drop out. Correct. Um, and that's probably the reason why Lucas Hedges looks so much like Matt Damon, by the way, which is weird. <laughs> and then, um, and then I think John Krasinski uh, has a lot to. Do. I think he co-wrote it or produced it or something. So this is like a like another personal film from all those Boston guys. You know, uh, you could tell that whoever was behind this movie was very familiar with that part of town because it's kind of like their little love letter to that area. So that's another little thing about this film. Yeah, I think I think Damon ended up producing it in the end, even if he didn't start it, because like I remember like the very early trailers of the movie had him just talking about it. I'm like, what the fuck is Matt Damon talking about this movie in the trailer? <laughs> and also uh, Amazon Studios is getting into the game because they produced it not for their own channel, but, you know, as a, as a theatrical distribution. So I remember when I That's first heard right. about this movie, I, I went to my Amazon Prime looking for it, and it wasn't them. Like fuck, because I I saw Amazon Studios, and I mean that's cool. But uh, no, I, you had to go to the theater to watch it. So uh, yeah, this is a great film, definitely a great film. Yeah, I saw the logo come up at the beginning, like Amazon Studios. Like the fuck, Amazon Studios. Like that's that's pretty cool. As, I guess. As, as long as it doesn't say WWE Studios, oh, we're all good. Then you can yeah, it'll it'll, it'll make bank. <laughs> that, that's the death knell on any picture. I don't care how good the picture is. Wait, you see WWE Studios on anything, it's like, oh, yeah, shit. Yeah, WWE Studios couldn't draw money with a green crayon. <laughs> but uh, anyway, that's uh, that's Manchester by the Sea. So uh, got two more films left, then we can get into our Oscar predictions. But our next film and, here... And, and, also, and also props to Michelle Williams, because she never gets comfortable in her in her role. She's like Jake Gyllenhaal. She just she tackles every kind of role she could to kind of enhance her as, a, as an actress, you know, and that's always, that's not easy, but it's, it's, it's very respectable. Yeah. Did she get, did she get a nomination for this? No, she did not. Oh, yeah, she did. I just looked it up. Yeah. Oh, she's, wait, she, wait, got a, she, she did? For, for the supporting Oscars? actors. Yeah. For supporting actors. Oh shit. Then I'm looking she's at in, the Golden She's Globe in like show. two scenes. Like she's getting, she's in this movie less than Maharshala Ali's in Moonlight. Oh yeah, she did. Yeah, you're, but, you're absolutely right. She did. I got, but I got that said, else. I think her performance is is much more affecting. Yeah, man. And and of, and of course, the silver lining to me is here that you know you could tell that the character of Randy, which is the character that she plays, you know, for better or worse, she had found peace with herself, and she had already like you know she started over, and she was already in another relationship. She was pregnant, so she had kind of moved on. Which you know, if you're gonna look for a victory in anywhere in this film, is is her character. So that was good. Absolutely. 
Um, so our next film, uh, the Actors Showcase, as I called it to Draven, and I wholeheartedly believe that Draven's going to take the floor with this one. Um, Hidden Fences. No, not Hidden Fences. I'm sorry. I pulled a Michael Keaton there. Um, just, <laughs> just Fences. So, uh, Draven, tell us a little bit about that film. So, Fences was a play that, uh, I don't know if it was the same film. Was it the filmmaker that, that, you know, this was adapted from a play. That's what I know. Well, it was directed by Denzel, so I guess he found it was the adapted, play. Some... Yeah, from the August uh, Wilson play. So, this is eventually, you're pretty much going to see a douchebag talk for like two hours in this film because that's essentially <laughs> depends on what to say. You know? He, uh... He's a guy that has a he has a family. He has uh, his his wife Rose, played by uh, Viola Davis, and and he has uh, his son Corey, and then he also has uh, kind of a you know special needs brother um, Gabriel, which is played by a uh, Mikelki Williamson, which is nice to see him get a payday. Hey, payday, I agree. We saw him in a Purge Election Year too. He got a payday in that one. Oh yeah, but that's a genre film, bro. That's like but, you but know, no, but <laughs> that's right, bro. No, that's good. That's good. It's good he, to see he, him he get paydays another... in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> so um, this film is eventually a story of a man who lives with regret. Uh, but again, we talked about those old school kind of characters in the previous in Manchester by the Sea. Well, this is the same thing. It's like, you know, back in the day, men were not allowed to express how frustrated they were. And so, but they, but they, uh, they projected and this film is all about projection you know having a psychology background that i have a ton of projection here by by the character of troy maxson played by denzel washington um and a ton of passive aggressive uh you know abuse really to his family which is it, it escalates from passive aggression to straight out just talking shit towards the end um so so troy maxson lives with 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 his family with his like i said his his, his wife and his kid um, now, correct me. Okay, so I'm trying to go off by my head here. So he has a, an older son, right, whom he he kind of abuses verbally, correct? Like the son comes, borrows correct. some money, and he kind of gives him a hard time about it. Um, and so he won't that, let that, him play. He, he wants to play, I think, uh, football or baseball or something, and then uh, Denzel won't let him because he has to go right. work or some shit. So what ended up happening with Denzel was that he was a good baseball player. And but he never made it to the major leagues. So he has that whole thing where, you know, um, because he was too old by the time the major leagues were accepting, you know, uh, Negroes in their leagues or whatever. He um, he has he's very he's very uh, remorseful and very angry about that. So um, Troy is the kind of character that he believes that every everybody's out to get him. He believes that the world's unfair just because of his worldview and what he's experienced. So again, he kind of projects it onto his family and to his friends, you know. Uh, what ended up happening was that his brother ended up ended up uh, getting a head injury during World War II, and he ended up getting a three thousand uh, dollar payout uh, that that Troy used to buy a home for his family, which is kind of kind of scummy in a lot of ways. But they never really yeah. dwell on that, um, especially because uh, the Gabe character, the Macaulay Williamson character, he kind of. Uh, he kind of gets put to the side by the family, well, not by the family, mostly by by Troy, you know, uh, later on. So, um, th- th- again, this film is mostly, the narrative is mostly comes from the dialogue, you know, and, and it's it's like we were talking about, it's a play, so it's it's like one setting, you know, they're outside the house, they're in the living room, 
and that's pretty much it. You know, yeah, you, it's, they it's, move it's around. filmed like it's exactly. Not to cut you off, but it is filmed like like a play. The way it was shot and the way they blocked the scene, it's like you're watching a play. Which I mean, for people who are like kind of into more like dynamic stuff, it's they might think it's a snooze fest. But the the, the thing about this is not about you know being dynamic. It's about the performances. It's about the actors, and they fucking blow you away with with the with their performances. Right, and so. Another thing, too, is that Troy has a son from a previous relationship, because one thing we find out about Troy is that he's quite he's quite the ladies man, as we're going to find out even more later on. But uh, Troy has a son who comes down. That's the guy that gets verbally abused, not his young son, but, you know, the older son, the one that was, uh, you know, from the love affair. And and so the whole thing is that Troy doesn't allow him to uh, he wants to play. Actually, he wants to play in a band. The son wants to play in a band at a bar and Troy's like you gotta make real money and this that or the other thing so um so so you you're building that tension with the family and essentially it's just again it's it's just uh Denzel Troy just uh going out there and you know being insecure that's pretty much I gotta say about this movie I mean there's really uh the narrative is not really there to be said in in review form I don't know if if I'm making sense Mark help me out here no no I I hear you I hear like like I said like the narrative itself, it's, I don't want to say it's not important, but the focus of this movie is for you to, like, ba- essentially bask in the epicness of Denzel Washington. And That's what I'm trying to say. Because the, the thing is that the, the ending is a little anticlimactic, right? I agree. I mean, once, once Denzel kind of exits... It becomes the Viola Davis show for a little while, and and then that's it. And you're like, oh shit. And, and, and then it's it over. Yeah, and it, before yeah, you know it, like two and a half hours are gone. Like holy shit. This is the, this is this is then finding a script and saying this is what I'm gonna just hit it all the park because this is like a one man show, and I'm gonna go do it. And he does it, and that's essentially what it is. But yeah. the char- the but the layers to the Troy character are fascinating because, you know, you want to root for him as a as a black man from that era. You know who got discriminated against, but it's funny because when the white man will go out there and claim, well, this is why the the black man never advances. You kind of get a glimpse of that quote unquote self hatred that's always been reflected on on black America, which I hate by the way because it's not true. But that's what the white man wants you to believe. And so you see it here in Troy, where he's just frustrated at everything that he has experienced. And rather than allowing life to give him the opportunities, he has closed them in exchange for not living that disappointment over and over again. So that's really what the story is about, you know. And a yeah, very first- ironic twist to his character. Like these 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 things open up for him, but he kind of you know close like you just said. He, he kind of closes off those opportunities and kind of rejects them, just so like he could say, "Oh, I don't get anything," you know, because that's I'm a right. black man, and- I can't get anything, you know. Right. And so at the same time, where where he really comes off as a horrible person, in my view, is when he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't just self-sabotage himself. You know, like you said, when he closes the opportunities for his kid to go to the football thing or his older kid to go to the band, you know, with, at the bar. And that's kind of fucked up because at that point, he, he in Troy's eyes, what he's doing as a father, he's protecting his kids from disappointment. Right. But it's not it's not it's not his choice to make. So, so uh, you know, that's where that's where the drama comes out of in the movie because his kids are frustrated, his wife is frustrated, his friends, and so um, you know, and then and then his brother Gabe is just such 
you know, he's kind of clueless in a lot of ways, and you find out why. Yeah. And uh, you know, at the end when he comes out with the with the trumpet or whatever, it's kind of sad. But um, because I think at the end he's still waiting for his brother to come home. You know, I don't even think he realizes that he's gone or whatever. Yeah. But um, I think that's that's so, what makes it like sad. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So it's it's. I mean, for the performance that Dan Salp gives, definitely watch it. Um, this was I was very I was very uh. I enjoy this performance a lot, like a lot. Honestly, like uh, not, not, sure. not 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 give him the best picture, the best the actor best award actor. a lot, but but I did I, I did enjoy it a lot. Like I, honestly, I'll I'll just be straight up. Like I I did enjoy Denzel's performance. I enjoyed Viola Davis's ten times more because see the thing with me is like Denzel watching him on there, it, he was just being Denzel, and Denzel's awesome, but like he he didn't really do anything different. Like, he was just being, like, himself, which is a great actor, and it was a great performance, but there wasn't enough, like, uniqueness to it where I could say, oh, that was, like, a best, one of Denzel's best, it was, you know, it's Oscar-worthy, you know, it was just a great right. Denzel performance, and that's kind of where it stays. Right, and there was a lot of carny tricks, too, like you said, like, the entire script is revolving around him, so it, it's by default gonna magnify his performance even more, Right. which is, you know, I mean, if we want to talk about like like crutches that's one of them right there you know or shortcuts or whatever um and, and so yeah there's little things like that that you notice and i'm sure in second and third viewers i'll notice it even more um and then again like we talked about the story that's pretty much the story there's and it's a long movie and there's really nothing going on other than just this family just arguing constantly and just a lot of promos being cut on each yes, other that's I pretty agree. much our that's why um, I find it a little hard to like recommend it like to just casual audiences because they might get a little restless because it's a lot of dialogue, a lot of talking because like I said, you're meant to focus on the performances. Um, there's not a lot of like action or like not a lot of like dynamic stuff going on. So like really on like like the true cinephiles people who like who are able to like kind of suck that stuff in, I definitely recommend it because it is an actor showcase. But like for those who need like kind of more. They, they, some of the people who can't sit through stuff like that, I definitely like. I would say skip it. But personally, and, and I anybody, it, is, anybody, it is a great film. And anybody who could relate to this, because I mean, my dad has a lot of traits of this Troy character too. So you know, obviously, if you connect to any movie, you're gonna you're gonna like it even more. So in that sense, I enjoyed it too. But um, yeah, it's it's not for everybody. That's for sure. Definitely. Um, just a little bit of a, a trivia note as far as this. So for those who don't know, um. It's actually it uh, was it's been adapted into Broadway twice. Um, I think the original run was in the late '80s, early '90s, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, James Earl Jones, the Alpha, played the uh, the Troy character. And then uh, when they revived the play in the the early 2000s, that's when Denzel and Viola Davis actually played the same character. So they're essentially reprising their roles from the Broadway revival of the early 2000s. Oh, okay, that's cool. So he did, so they played uh... these characters before already. And you exactly. could totally tell the play vibe. You could it, the play vibe is totally on screen because again, yeah. it's the same setting it's and blocked, you know, it's a house. It's blocked like a play yeah. and everything. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah. So, so anyway, uh, that's pretty much it. That's pretty fences. much it. Yeah. So, um, are you gonna check this out one out soon, Adolfo? Well, I'm gonna check out. Uh, it's on the list. I uh, I have a uh, uh, a quote unquote screener for it, so I'll be watching it pretty soon. Awesome, awesome. By the way, folks, let's, all the films that we're talking about, because I learned this the hard way, like, you know, all the films that we're talking about are films that you have to kind of get ready for mentally. Like, 
they're very hard-hitting films. That's the thing about these films that we're talking about tonight. And, you know, there's a lot of films like, you know, junk food for the brain, right? You could have them on in the background and you could clean the house while they're on and you, you still catch the drip. Mm-hmm. These films, you have to actually make the time and not only make the time, you have to get mentally ready to just sit down and just take it in. And that and that's these kind of films that they're kind of hard to watch sometimes for that reason, because even me, I'll have like a quote, like Adolfo said, a quote unquote screener or like I want to go to the movies. But mentally, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to put myself through that today. And so I won't watch them. I have to you have to kind of get ready for them and prepare yourself emotionally and then and then, you know, watch them. So some of these films are pretty hard to watch. Yep, exactly. You just you have to be in the right frame of mind to kind of not so much enjoy it, but to kind of just like take in what you're supposed to take in from it. Yeah, because if you're having a shitty day, don't watch Fences or or, or Manchester no, or by Man- the Especially sequel. Manchester, bro. Because it's gonna really fuck up your day even more. You know? <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, there, there's a story. That's putting it lightly. And then what's gonna do is also gonna affect your enjoyment of the film because you're gonna say fuck this movie, you know? And it's like, no, I mean these films are all great. And the performances are great, but we also have to be in the state of mind to watch them. You know, not so much Howard High Water. That's just a fun film all around. But but all the other ones we've talked about, definitely get ready for them. Well, what about this main event film? <laughs> all right. All so, oh, that's a great film. You can watch that whenever you want. Although yeah, the exactly. third act is kind of hard. Um, so with that being said, it's time for our main event film before we get into some Oscar predictions. Um, spoilers. This is my... Right now, it is at least it's my number one best film of 2016. Although I will give Adolfo the floor for the introduction. Adolfo, tell us about La La Land. Uh, so La La Land is a classic Hollywood musical, but set in modern day Los Angeles, uh, using what I believe are real Los Angeles locations. I'm not I'm not a native native Draven. You are. So maybe That's you where Draven correct me will that. come in for this. Yeah. Um, I- I marked out big time a couple of times just for the locations. Um, it's basically uh, the story is is pretty basic. You have a uh, a a wannabe actress that you know can't get an audition to save her life, and a um, down on his luck jazz uh, jazz pianist uh, who struggles to be an artist uh in a like a kind of a commercial world uh through different circumstances they keep through different circumstances they keep bumping into each other he's not very nice to her she kind of makes fun of him but eventually they start to actually choose to be around each other and get to like each other and 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 uh, a romance blossoms between that and then you go on from there and it's kind of a typical uh you know musical story plot uh it, it, she dreams that she continues to dream of being an actress she tries to put on her own show her own one woman show while he kind of gets a gig uh with this with an old buddy of his played by john legend um playing in a band that becomes super ultra successful and then uh as as their as their careers kind of take different paths it kind of takes a a, a, a what's the word i'm looking for a a burden on the relationship and then that's pretty much all i'll say about the plot um this is such a such a throwback to the 1950s musical of like Warner Brothers and MGM, uh, it, it is like really. I mean, it's 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 a weird thing for me to say, but it's such a delightful, fun, poppy, feel good movie. Uh, especially when you when all the movies that we've been talking about have been, you know, have been all these depressing, drudging, like 
you know, got to be in the right state of mind films. This is a movie you can walk into cold, enjoy it, have fun with it. The music is good. The performances are good. I wouldn't say great, but they're good. Um, and, you know, I think Damien Chazelle, I think, kind of knocked this one out of the park. I think um, we can get into it whenever we get to, to the Oscars. But I think this is one that's going to perform very well over the award seasons uh, just because it's – I, I think people just in general kind of want a little escapism right now, and this movie definitely provides it. And then Hollywood sucking their own dick always gets points with the Academy. <laughs> That's, That's true. true. That, that is true. true bro. That is absolutely they love, true. They love that. They love when Hollywood making movies about Hollywood always gets the award, so uh, we might see them. Um, no, but I'm with you. I, I This is a very... Um, like I said, except for the, for the finale, which really... I was it really hit me hard personally that finale was just you know it was kind of tragic in a lot of ways but other than that this is a fun film you know and and it's just uh it tackles so many themes of like fate and like hope and just keep on you know keep on keeping on and, and all that stuff and um but the thing about the story itself and Adolfo you kind of jumped through this it's uh it's very um it's not. It's nothing original. We've seen this a thousand times, but the way it's performed here and the way it's filmed here is, I thought it was very original in a lot of ways. Um, now people, uh, they're thinking musical now. I've, I've told people that, that 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 have reservations to go see it because it's a musical. I tell them, you know, it's not. I would say about ninety percent of the film is straight narrative. It's not really a musical other than a few dance numbers. So it's nothing to shy away from if you don't if musicals ain't your thing. And they're not my thing. So I could totally relate to people that don't want to see it because of that. Um, and even the musicals don't the musicals themselves, the, the performances, they don't take nothing away from the film. It never it never goes into cartoon land. You know, it, it's just um, they all have a purpose in the movie, all, all, the, all the musical numbers and um, and a lot of homages, you know, a, a couple of Casablanca homages that I call that, you know, Adolfo's favorite film. So yeah, it's it's a great movie. Um, I've seen it twice already. Um, the Oscar showcase will be my third time seeing this. Um, I just immediately, Im- immediately fell in love with this movie. It's just Damien Chazelle is on fire right now, bro. Fucking Whiplash, which Adolfo and I gushed on a couple years ago on the on this actually on this show on the Oscar preview show for Force Perspective. Um, and now you have La La Land, and like I kind of started talking about earlier in the show, two films that have the same theme about basically wanting to be successful, wanting to be this success and doing whatever it takes, even if it means like essentially cutting off your relationships, you know, doing whatever it takes to be successful, no matter what. Um, Like I said, Whiplash is a little more cynical in that regard, but La La Land is, you know, like you guys mentioned, it's very upbeat about about it and uh i just found it fascinating that you know the same theme can be told in such strikingly different ways you know and that, that's what makes each film unique as well um it's a and like you, you mentioned as well draven it's a film geek's wet dream you know they they're on these famous film locations and, you know i don't want to really spoil them if you haven't seen it but they stop by a lot of different you know famous uh film locations they homage a lot of different famous musicals with their dance numbers, you know. Um, 
just like if you're like a a, a true cinephile and you've seen like a lot of these old like 50s musicals and you've seen a lot of these old 50s 60s films you're going to recognize the locations right away you're going to recognize you know the dance numbers right away you know some musical cues kind of take inspiration from like from the old musicals and you know you just start marking out like the entire time um i thought that ryan gosling and emma stone were great here emma stone obviously she to me she was the mvp of this film you know as much as like ryan gosling here um emma stone was the mvp i see her as the front runner for best actress i think she's gonna win it um you know they just, i just love their the chemistry together i mean they have worked together a lot in the past already so the chemistry was already there but to just see them take these characters and just kind of make them their own on screen you know giving off the, you know the, the the Fred and Ginger, I mean, everybody's saying it, like, you know, it's, it's the old Fred and Ginger vibes, but, I mean, that it's the best way to describe it. It's the old Fred and Ginger vibe, and they used to kind of encapsulate that, like, that dual role just perfectly, and that's what made the film even better, in my opinion. Um, another thing I really liked about it is the score, like, Justin Hurwitz's score, He, I think he won the Golden Globe for it as well, um, absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing score, uh, Every at least once a week, I listen to the entire La La Land soundtrack at work. Now I could be like Denny Louis and listen to it while I clean my house, but I'm not there yet. <laughs> you know, I uh, right now it's like once a week at least I put it on at work. You know, when I'm on break or when I'm just doing like paperwork or something, um, because I, I I all the music is wonderful. I can't get tired of it. It's just it's something that I can listen to just over and over and over again. Um, just it, it's it's pretty obvious like. Damien Chazelle, what he's going for here, it's just essentially his love letter to kind of a bygone era in cinema. You know, nowadays, like, musicals, like, don't make any money. So he kind of wanted to take us back to a time when musicals were the most popular genre, or at least one of the most popular genres in cinema. And I think he kind of encapsulates that old-school mentality while kind of putting his own unique twist on it. And because of all of that, and much more... um, this is my favorite film of 2016. Just absolutely amazing work, amazing efforts from everybody involved. Go see it ASAP. He even um, shot it in the old uh, Panavision Cinemascope, right? Oh, this, I marked out for that shit. When, like, presented in Cinemascope. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I'm in for a wild ride on this one. So. <laughs> and another, and another cool thing about it, you know, the theme of this show has been all these washed up guys getting paid days. Tom Everett Scott got a paid day here, bro. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, for like so two minutes of nice work, to, exactly. It's always nice to see these guys pop up here and there. You know, guys that had a career at one time, and you know, they take these quick. Now, paydays. who had the better cameo, Matthew Broderick or Tom Everett Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I popped for both of them, but uh, Matthew Broderick had a little more to play with. Now. J.K. Simmons shows up here um, for a cup of coffee. <laughs> You're right. Like yeah, yeah, but coffee, I want, I want to say that's the same character from Whiplash, bro. It's the same fucking. <laughs> it's, it's the same shared it's universe, same, bro. It's the same juiced up fucking J.K. Simmons we saw in Whiplash. <laughs> but then he starts dancing at the end, bro. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Doing the wacky dance. That shit was awesome. Uh, well, and, and, that, yeah. And speaking right. of that dance sequence, like I, I think that that was to, I, I love that that whole like at least is probably like a ten minute sequence at the very end of the film um, that is such a nod to I think the Gene Kelly musicals of the fifties because yes. you watch uh, an American in Paris or uh, Singing in the Rain he always ended those movies with like this ballet sequence 
that was completely wordless. Uh, it was just music and dancing, and it told and like it told basically the story of the movie. And that's and uh, it that's what he did. I mean, it's what he did with this. Uh, Damien Chazelle did with that scene, and it's such a. I mean, like he he's like such a. Um, like what what Quentin Tarantino is to like you know seventies like exploitation films like the, that's what Damien Chazelle did with like nineteen fifties musicals with this movie. Right, and unlike Manchester by the Sea, we get a we get a nice little uh, bow you know bow tie kind of ending where both characters have moved on, even though you know it's kind of sad, but also kind of uh, not sad in a way towards the end. So that was cool. And um, no, I, I'm, I'm with Mark here. I enjoyed. I don't. I didn't like it as much as you did, um, but I definitely enjoyed it. And and just to top it all off, bro, at the end of the movie, you had the wacky the end title card. That was just the, top, <laughs> the cherry on top of, of like a whole like two hour markout session, bro. <laughs> now, now you fucking know, awesome as, movie. As as a, as a cinephile and a you know and a graduate of film school that I am. Like, I always look for the details, right? And I saw that opening dance number in the freeway. Yes. And I'm thinking... Which is and I'm the freeway thinking, you say you've driven through many times. Before. Oh, yeah, definitely. I knew that spot. I mean, I've been there. I've been stuck in traffic there many times. But the thing was, was that I'm looking at this scene, right? And it's like a five-minute scene or whatever. Yeah. And I'm seeing all the work that goes into it, you know, with the setup and the choreography and all that stuff. And I'm thinking, God damn, this is amazing. Because, you know, CGI is going to evolve and devolve and... You know, whatever is good now ain't going to look good 10 years from now. But one thing you'll never replace is what's on camera, what you could see and what you could appreciate, you know. And that's something that, you know, just looked phenomenal. The work that went into that scene alone uh, just got me in the mood to watch the rest of the film, you know. And it was just awesome to see that. It was great. Absolutely. Actually, my, my favorite scene of the movie has to be the, uh, the kind of uh, dual dancing with uh, Ryan and Emma. Um, that there's a famous park like that scene where that's on all the posters where she's wearing the yellow dress where they do like the the kind of yeah, well, that, no, well, that's, that, that's, that, that's the park, observatory. Right? Yeah, it's Griffith Park and the it, observatory. Oh, the park at yeah, Griffith Park. You're right. Yes. Um, a lot of films are shot up there. Yeah. He channeled a lot of like you could tell like there's a lot of Gene Kelly inspiration, a lot of Fred Astaire, and just in that one sequence where he's dancing, it's like, you know, he did his homework and then. I read the story too about how he basically learned piano just to do this movie. You know, he he learned it in a month, which is like fucking amazing. Because I couldn't probably, learn piano he, in a month. He, he probably just learned those songs in a month. I don't know if he learned the entire. I don't know, bro. Of, maybe maybe yeah. they're working me like like Meltzer does. So uh, <laughs> yeah, him and Elijah Wood. Him and Elijah Wood both both learned how to play the piano for their respective films. Are you trying to say? <laughs> right. <laughs> Grand piano. Grand piano, bro. Fucking uh, atrocity of a movie is called. <laughs> But anyway, bro, um, that's a lot. My, of my, my my favorite my favorite scene is the is the last the last dance number. I love that scene. Yeah, I can watch that it whole over. extended epilogue. Oh, it, yeah, it, it, it was that. sad. It was definitely sad. But like just the way everything was shot, it was just damn, bro. What a fucking awesome movie. Love this movie. And even 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 that dance number, without giving anything away, that that dance number itself could could take place in in any movie. It doesn't have to be a musical because of what that dance number is. So it exactly. it doesn't. Again, people that are that are that don't want to see it because it's a musical. How many? How many is is there? Like what? Three dance numbers, four tops. I mean, it's not a like lot of four dance tops, numbers. I think. Yeah. Yeah, and again, the last one would fit in any film, um, so people should go out and see it. You know, and the only reason I keep on harping on that is because I know a lot of people who won't see it because of the fact that it's promoted as a musical. 
And it's like, you know, you have all these knobs who are like, nah, I ain't gotta go see a musical. And it's like, it's not really a musical when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. It ain't like Moulin Rouge or anything like that. <laughs> Moulin Rouge. Anyway, bro. Uh, so, yeah. And John Legend, former uh, WrestleMania uh, uh, performer. <laughs> America the <Yeah>. Beautiful. <laughs> he, he's in it. So. He's in it, bro. He gets a payday, too. Well, he doesn't need it, but yeah, he it, gets it, paid. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Ask the prediction. So, um, when we talk about these, I always like to start with the one that always, like, like it's awful, like to say, it's always the, the populist category which is best visual effects would like to throw it all like the, some of the blockbusters in there um and i'll probably be the only category you'll see them so this year's best visual effects nominees are Deepwater horizon dr strange the jungle book kubo and the two strings and rogue one um for me kind of a toss-up between i would say personally either rogue one or dr strange takes it um looking at honestly i think Prediction wise, I think it's gonna go to the Jungle Book. Really? Um, yeah. Have you I, seen it? I have seen it. Actually, it's really good. I oh, actually okay. really enjoyed the Jungle Book. Um, just because I just saw that film, and it's, I mean, the the fact that it's talking animals is one thing, but but they look very good, the animals. But the fact that that was an all green screen thing, and it didn't look like green screen. That's what was very, like super impressive about it. If it's not the Jungle Book, I'd, I'd say Doctor Strange gets it. I don't think the other movies are are in the running though. Maybe Rogue One, but um, I think it's between those two. Deepwater Horizon surprises me because, you know, I don't think it it was known more for its like visual effects. You know, like its action sequences were like the the thing that kind of that that's its draw. You know, but weren't there a lot of explosions and stuff? Oh no, no, I I like I mean I I like Deepwater Horizon because of the theatrical experience. Like the movie kind of sucks. Let's be real about it. Yeah, well, I, but, yeah I agree. but but as a theatrical experience, the third act is phenomenal. I think. I just think you know getting bombarded with visual effects and sound effects and mayhem going on left and right. I thought that was pretty cool. You know. Um, I'm very happy uh, Kubo and the Two Strings was nominated because that's a great film and it deserves the love it's getting. Uh, but I'm with you guys. I think Doctor Strange takes it or The Jungle Book. Mm. Now, I do want to bring up a couple, like some of the minor ones before we get to the main categories. Um, and, Rogue, and Rogue One, just for Grand Moff Tarkin, man. I mean, come like, on. That, that, yeah, that's yeah. true. But then the Princess Leia one is not great, though. You oh, know? Well, they're going to have it's to do a little bit. I am surprised that Captain America didn't get on here. I'm surprised by that. Mm, there's a lot right. of stuff going on in that movie. Yeah. Right. Um, one of the, the two kind of minor categories I want to bring up before we move on is the uh, best cinematography. Um, you have Arrival, you have La La Land, you have Lion, you have Moonlight, and you have Silence, which I believe that's the only category that Silence was nominated in. Um, I got to go with Silence. I didn't like the movie that much, but I thought the cinematography was like, I've seen all these movies, and that movie was shot beautifully. It was shot beautifully. I think, personally, I think Silence or Arrival could take it. I don't know so much about La La Land, even though I did like that cinematography as well, but I think Silence and Arrival did a much better job with it. Right, right. So, um, And actually, if La La Land is going to sweep the awards, they usually like to throw a bone to like, it, it, it wouldn't sweep everything, you know, because like, okay, well, they're already winning the big awards. Let's give cinematography to someone else. That's usually how they do things. And right. um, I could see, I, since Silence is not really nominated for anything other than cinematography, um, I could see them taking it. Yeah. 
Um, the other kind of minor award I want to hold bring on. Up, I, I didn't get to say anything here. Oh, I'm so, oh, sorry, Dolph. <laughs> sorry, bro. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead. It's all right. I actually do kind of agree with you guys that, that I wouldn't really. The, the only thing I would add to this, though, is that one movie I am I would have nominated for it because I think the movie was just gorgeous to look at was the neon demon i'm surprised it didn't get anything it, that movie should have been nominated for cinematography because that movie was gorgeous to look at it was beautifully shot and the other movie i think that should have been nominated for cinematography is a movie that like it, it early in award season it seemed to be getting a lot of buzz and then it just completely stalled and i don't think it got anything and that was nocturnal animals i thought that yeah. cinematography that film was really good as well um i'm surprised neither one of those two at least got that for nomination it didn't get anything now, like Nocturnal Animals, I have to say this for anyone considering seeing it. If you can get past the first five minutes, you're in for a fun ride. That's all I have to say about that. The first five? I'm still trying to figure out what the first five minutes are about. <laughs> like, I'm not quite sure what they were trying to do with that. Well, you'll have to ask Tommy Ford about that one. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other kind of minor category I want to dwell on just briefly, only because it's kind of funny. Um, best makeup and hairstyle. You had this movie called A Man Called Of. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. Um, Star Trek Beyond and Suicide Squad. So yes, Suicide Squad is an Oscar-nominated film and a Rosie-nominated film, which we will get to later on in the show. But they couldn't—they couldn't even get five nominees from this. Kind of fucked up in a lot of ways. Kind of fucked up, right? Only three, and that's it. I think that Suicide Squad basically what for Killer Croc's makeup, I guess. I'm assuming so. Or maybe they like the Joker. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to assume it's suit because it's usually like when, when like genre movies get like nominated for this, it's because like the prosthetics and stuff like that. Um, so I, I don't think they'll give it to Suicide Squad. I think you're, you're, this is going to go to Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek, the, the original Star Trek, the 2009 Star Trek movie actually won in this category back uh, back, uh like in 2009 so uh i i think it would repeat on this one i don't if suicide squad ends up winning an oscar i'm gonna like end the bro it could end up winning a Razzie and an oscar in the same weekend yeah yeah but look at the oscar come on now that'd be, that'd be some shit <laughs> that's true um i do also want to talk about briefly because i've seen a couple of these already um best documentary feature uh you have Fire at Sea, which I haven't seen. Uh, I am not your Negro. That's a, that's getting a lot of buzz right now. I'm actually playing at my uh, at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, which I do want to try to go to the screening there for that one. Um, Life Animated, which is actually the opening film of the uh, 2016 Montclair Film Festival, which I, w- I attended by the way, which was crashed by the Alpha Gilbert Godfrey. So <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a joke, by the way. And that really happened. So. Um, price of admission right there yeah and he oh, bro he did the iago voice from aladdin he did a whole scene <laughs> with the kid from the movie bro and it was fucking awesome i have it i recorded it on my phone <laughs> fucking awesome bro um oj well, made in america you know, he, he gets pages to do the voices this pretty much right voices. pretty much oj made in america which i actually on the dolphin's recommendation i bought the blu-ray for that and it's absolutely amazing great great documentary and uh, 13th, which is the Ava DuVernay documentary um, about the 13th Amendment. And it's right. on Netflix right now. So this is a pretty strong category this year, especially since I've, I've seen, seen most I've, of them. 
Yeah, I've seen seen the last two, by the way. Yeah, I've seen seen the last two as well. I'm very pleased that even though OJ Made in America was was technically a TV show, that they they did whatever they needed to do to make it qualify for an Oscar because uh, that that is honestly – if I like, you know, we're gonna do our top ten in a little bit here. I, I kept my top ten to just like uh, regular narrative movies that didn't include documentaries. But if I did include documentaries, I honestly would make OJ my number one movie of the year because it was that 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 series is absolutely amazing. Um, I'm and if it doesn't win, I'm I'm gonna be shocked because that yeah. it's cl- to me it is clearly the best. Uh, it is clearly the best uh, documentary on the list. And 13th is actually pretty good. 13th is pretty good. It's just OJ is so much better. Yeah. yeah. But if you can track it down, guys, I highly, highly recommend Life Animated. It's a very, very interesting, very emotional, very powerful documentary. It's about this kid who has autism, and he basically learned how to speak and communicate by watching Disney movies. Um, and it's, it's really, like, fascinating stuff. So I highly, highly recommend that one as well, if you can track it down. And um, uh, I wonder what they had to do for uh, OJ Made in America. Did they had to cut it down to a three-hour feature, or because it's it's pretty much a television show and yeah. it's like seven it's like seven hours. Uh, but I wonder if the screener was like three hours, you know. And even then, w- what did they have to cut out? Because there's just so much detail in that entire series that you know I don't I don't foresee anything getting cut out. It's just so powerful, you know, from beginning to end. So, uh, but you know. I haven't seen I haven't seen the first three you mentioned, but I just don't see how OJ Made in America could lose. It's just yeah, it's such I think a it, it, it's it's that one's uh, film to lose, in my opinion. You know, like it, it, it right now it can't lose, but you know, stranger things have happened. <laughs> so, the thing is, the thing is, you gotta you gotta also take into account um, the voting body again. So the 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 people in the in in the categories are the ones who nominate, but then like the entire Academy votes on. Uh, votes on the winners, right? And you know they get their screeners like everybody else. So you got to figure out of all these movies, which is the one that, like, when the, it, you know, you see, have you seen the uh, honest uh, Oscar ballots or whatever that like people do under anonymity, right? And then like they say, oh, I don't know, for animated film, whatever, whichever one my kid like, I'm gonna vote for that one, right? So like documentary feature, I think it's gonna come down to like which one, which one is the Academy like probably. Which one did they watch the most? Like, because I guarantee you, like the Academy didn't watch like like people voting for it. They didn't watch all five of these. They probably watched like two of them. I'm like, I'm gonna vote for that one, you know. Which is human nature, you know. If if, if humans are gonna vote, there's gonna be there's always gonna be a flaw in the system. No, right? absolutely, absolutely. I'm just saying, like, so. If, but if you're making predictions, you gotta think to yourself, what's more likely the one that they watched, you know? Yeah. Um. I also kind of want to shed light on on one nominee for the uh, best documentary short short subject, excuse me, and it's uh, Joe's Violin. Now that film, I actually attended a screening of that film at a uh, at a university event last year. Like it was at the beginning of last year, like January, and I actually got to meet the, uh, the one of the directors, Kahane Cooperman, because she was actually she did a talk after the after the screening. You know, she's. Actually, she's a former producer at The Daily Show, and she had a lot of interesting stories about working with Jon Stewart uh, back in the day. Um, and it's a really, really interesting uh, little documentary short. It's about this uh, Polish Holocaust survivor who has still has a 70-year-old violin that he kind of saved from when he was a kid. Um, and it's basically the story of how he's passing it down to like this 12-year-old girl who goes to school in the Bronx. And it's a very emotional subject, very very interesting subject as well, and if you can track this one down too, I highly recommend it as well. Cool. Um, 
So kind of moving on to the big categories, we're going to start with screenplays. Uh, best original screenplay you have, Heller, High Water, La La Land, The Lobster, which is fucking awesome that it got an original screenplay nomination, Manchester by the Sea, and 20th Century Women. Um, based on what you guys have said about Heller, High Water, I would you know, think that's a strong contender for this as well, but I think La La Land's going to take it. Yeah, this, uh, is where the, this is where the La La Land, if it starts sweeping awards, is where it's going to start. Yeah, that's what I think, too. Hmm. Best adaptive screenplay, you have Arrival, Fences, Hidden Figures, Lion, and Moonlight. I think this is going to Moonlight. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I haven't seen Moonlight, but, you know, the way it's leaning towards, I uh, I agree with you guys. Um, I, I think I think Fences and Moonlight are, are either, if it doesn't go to Moonlight, or go to Fences, because, uh, and they're very similar in the way they're structured, which is, you know, kind of weird, but... Um, I'm going with Moonlight. Right. Now we get into acting. So best supporting actor, you have uh, Mahershala Ali. I think I butchered his name too. Mahershala Ali for Moonlight. Yeah. Jeff Bridges, Hell or High Water. Lucas Hedges for Manchester by the Sea. Dev Patel for Lion. And the Alpha Michael Shannon for Nocturnal Animals, bro. <laughs> the Alpha gotta, Michael Shannon. I'm going with Jeff Bridges, no doubt about it. Uh... I think Mahershala Lee is going to take it because he seems to have the momentum behind him. Highway robbery. That's highway robbery. Out of these, <laughs> out of these five, I would either give it to Jeff Bridges or Michael Shannon. Uh, I love Michael Shannon in that movie. He was amazing. He was awesome in that movie. That's uh, right. But uh, I, they're both pretty much playing like almost the same character in that film, in both those yeah. films. But it, it, those are those would be my two personal choices. Uh, for, for the for this list, um, but I think my prediction is Marshall Ali. Okay. Um, I would say, since I haven't seen Hell or High Water, I haven't seen a couple of these. I can't really comment, but I've seen Manchester, I've seen Nocturnal Animals, so I think Lucas Hedges or my. I mean, I Lucas Hedges did great in the movie. We talked was, about it earlier. It was really, yeah, it was really um, and Michael Shannon was fucking awesome in Nocturnal Animals, so you know I can definitely see him as a possible winner as well. Um, you know what I think is, is weird is Jeff Bridges for supporting. I feel like that's more of a lead role, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Like, it's odd that he's in this category. But they always do that, though. They always do that when, when they're – because I'm sure the nomination for Best Actor was for Chris Pine whenever they submitted their – Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Best Supporting Actress, Viola Davis, Fences, Naomi Harris for Moonlight, Nicole Kidman for Lion – Octavia Spencer for Hidden Figures and Michelle Williams for Manchester by the Sea. No question about it. Viola Davis is going to take this one. Well, there is question about it because this is Michelle Williams too. You know, I mean, this is a tough one for me. Um, I mean, I agree. I I've, mean, I can see because like we just praised Michelle Williams up and down when we talked about Manchester, but I think I personally think Viola Davis did a better job. My opinion. Yeah, I think I think all the industry insiders are saying it's going to be Viola Davis. Uh, that's who I would predict. If I'm like for. If I'm putting money down, it's Viola Davis. I would personally put it on my for myself. I would say Naomi Harris, um, just because they already have Oscars. I think Octavia Spencer and Nicole Kidman have no shot. Um, <laughs> but Michelle Michelle Williams is also really good too. I think it's a three way race between those between Michelle Williams, Naomi Harris, and Viola Davis. But I think uh, Viola Davis will, will will get it. Best actor. Bearded Casey Affleck for Manchester by the Sea, Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, Ryan Gosling for La La Land, Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic, that's kind of out there, 
and Denzel Washington for fences. Uh, I my money's on Casey. Uh, that's hard because Andrew Garfield did a great fucking job in Hacksaw Ridge, uh, but I gotta go with Casey Affleck. His 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 uh, what he had to tackle was a lot harder, and it kind of made as an actor. I think that was a better job. Um, Vigo's kind of he's becoming a staple in these nominations. He pops up every few years in this random little film, so good for him. So nice. yeah, I gotta. But I hope. See, this is one of those uh, uh, categories that I really hope that Ryan Gosling doesn't win because. Out of all the five, I would say he's the least. Not that he didn't do, he didn't do a good job. It's just, you know, look at the other four. I mean, they're all very yeah. powerful performances. I mean, Ryan Gosling did a fine job for the for the film he was in. But the last thing I'm thinking of when I watched La La Land is like how awesome Ryan Gosling was, right? That's I don't right. Think, yeah, like, exactly. Like unless people are like, unless it's like the Black Swan thing, where like, oh, he she learned ballet just for this movie, like, oh, he learned the piano just for this movie. Unless they're doing that, okay, but. Like I'm speaking just purely on acting, it's the best actor award, not best piano player award, right? So like right. based purely on acting, he was fine. He was competent. He was enjoyable. He was funny. He was charming. But was he like? Was I blown away by it? Not really, you know. Um, so I would. I don't think he wins it. I don't think he deserves. And I'm. I, I like Ryan Gosling, but I don't think he deserves it for this. I think Casey Affleck. Uh, that's my prediction to take it, and that's also my personal choice. But I also could see. Uh, a like upset from Denzel. I can see Denzel upsetting the category too. Yeah. Whenever I think of best actor and best actress, I'm thinking when the director yells cut, like how 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 long does it take like a Casey Affleck to go back to being Casey Affleck? You know what I'm saying? From like Lee Chandler. That's hard because you know acting is very difficult and, and to just emotionally put yourself out there, you can't just it doesn't just turn on and off, you know, it takes you a long time to just kind of like get out of that zone. And that's, and that's, that's the thing that I want to command and that I want to reward is not so much that you learn how to play the piano in a month. I mean, that's cool too, but it's like, how much does it take out of you every single scene you're, you're shooting? And, and, and cause that's really was emotionally devastating as a, as a performer. And so, you know, Denzel, Andrew Garfield and Casey Affleck, I mean, I could see all three of them when the director yells cut, they're like, okay, well, now it's going to take me a while to come back. You know, that, that, yeah. that's where the real struggle is at, you know? So, yeah, I got to go with, with uh, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't think I even said my choice. Did I said Casey Affleck, for sure. I think with you, you, you were considering, like, Andrew Garfield. Or that's Casey right, yeah, yeah, but I, I, I'm going to go with Casey Affleck. Casey. Um, best actress, you have Isabel Huppert for Elle, Ruth Nega for Loving, Natalie Portman for Jackie, Emma Stone, La La Land, Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins, which is basically the courtesy nomination that Meryl Streep seems to get every couple okay, of years. Okay, so is there a spot that's automatically eliminated every year because of Meryl Streep? Like, that's kind of meant. So there's only four actresses that could be nominated every single year at Meryl Streep. So that's, that's, right. just, that's just kind of messed <laughs> that's up. That's what it seems like. Like, this is just like they just throw in her a bone, like her 20th nomination or whatever. Like, yeah. Um, Emma Stone, in my opinion, what, okay, like like you mentioned, Adolfo, when you think La La Land, you're not talking about Ryan Gosling. I agree with you 100%, but I am talking about Emma Stone after La La Land, so I think she's the frontrunner to take it. Um, I I think she will take it just based on, like, that's my prediction. I have not seen the, these other four films to, to judge how good they are, how good she is compared to these four performances, um, so I can't really say it, but I, I will say Emma Stone just because it's it's the... It seems to be where the the wind is blowing. 
Yes. Well, Natalie Portman uh, and Jackie, she that she has to carry that film pretty much by herself. Yeah. So that 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 you know that's who I would give it to, but I think Emma Stone's gonna win it. Best director, you have. Uh, not our not our favorite Denny Louis. It's Denny Villeneuve for <laughs> Arrival. Yeah. Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge. There goes Mel Gibson. It, it, you know? it, it ain't gonna it ain't gonna be him. <laughs> Damien Chazelle for La La Land. Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea. And Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. No question about it. I think Damien Chazelle is gonna run away with this one. Yes, yes, I I, I agree with you. Uh, Barry Jenkins' film is incredibly personal, and I think there's something to be said about that, but. Um, at the end of the day, Damien Chazelle, he deserves this award. I'll give him that. Uh, I, I That's what I, I think it'll be. It's down to, as far as predictions go, it'll be down to Damien Chazelle and Barry Jenkins. I give my I give the edge to Damien Chazelle. And last but not least, the main event of the evening, best picture of 2016, Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight. I could see Moonlight pulling an upset, um, but my money, my my safe bet would be La La Land because, like you know, we talked about earlier, we've talked about our other shows before. Hollywood likes films about Hollywood, and they're gonna vote for films about Hollywood because they like to jerk themselves all, all the time. Yeah, so, yeah, I think La La, La La Land's gonna take it up. I do, I do give the Academy respect this year because the. This selection is very, very deep and very like it's not it's not very Hollywoody if that's the right term. Yeah. Um, and they really went out on a limb with all the films they selected, and that's cool. Um, even even just looking at this list, like I don't even know who to choose personally. You know, they're all great films. Uh, but if it was up to me, I would go with Howard High Water. But uh, that's that's way too much of a dark horse. I think La La Land's gonna take yeah. it. Yeah, I think La La Land is is the is gonna sweep this year and almost every. I don't think it's gonna do the full shutout. Like I don't think it's gonna pull like a like a Titanic. Uh, yeah, but even Titanic wasn't a complete shutout because there I were a couple of different like wins. Two out of the fifteen. It was not yeah, like I don't think it's gonna go like full on like. I think the last time a movie like won every single award that was nominated like that was like Lord of the Rings, the last Lord of the Rings movie. I don't think it's gonna do that, but it's gonna win like. 80% of the stuff it's nominated for, right? Um, and if not, it, it, like, in second place, but I think a distant second, in my opinion, uh, as far as who will win is Moonlight. Yeah, that's, that's like my dark horse, because I think that uh, it could, it has, I mean, it won the, uh, won the Golden Globe for Best Drama. So, I mean, I kind of see it as, like, the number two. Like, if La La Land doesn't win, it'll be Moonlight. Um, now... Were any of you guys, I don't want to say upset, but were any of you guys disappointed that Deadpool didn't make this cut? No. Nah, it's a genre film. I, don't, I, I love I love Deadpool, but it was not, there's no, like, and, you know, people like were saying, like, oh, you know, because the Producers Guild nominated for an award and Writers Guild nominated for an award and, like, you know, it had a shot. But um, it's, Deadpool's a fun movie. It's a great movie. Uh, it's not, like, best picture of the year worthy like i would have i would have laughed and applauded it if it would have gotten in just because of the balls it would have taken to put it in there but right. it's not it's it, it, like it's not actually a, a, a an oscar not a best picture worthy movie in my opinion but but with that said the reason the film nominees got enhanced is, was for films like like deadpool and That's this true. year they went back to like straight drama so uh you know there uh, wasn't really there wasn't really genre films nominated no well arrival 
Oh, a rival, yeah, other than that. No. Yeah. But a rival's kind of like artsy, artsy uh, uh, genre. Artsy you know? yeah, sci-fi, exactly. yeah. Right. Um, I, I will say as far as not, uh, speaking of things that didn't get nominated, uh, there's a couple people, like I knew weren't going to get nominated, but I wish they would have gotten more attention. Um, I wish um, the the lead from uh, from the movie The Witch, Anya Taylor-Joy, I wish she would have gotten some attention because I thought she was really good. Um, I also really liked Haley Steinfeld in, in The Edge of Seventeen. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought she, I thought again, she didn't get any support this year for like pretty much any awards, but I thought she was good. And then two, um, two John, speaking of genre movies, two supporting performances from genre movies from the beginning of the year that I thought were excellent uh, that didn't get any attention in award season: uh, John Goodman in Ten Cloverfield Lane and Patrick Stewart in Green Room. I thought those were both awesome performances that no one paid any attention to after those movies left the theater. Well, as a genre fan, we're used to that. I know, I'm used to it, but like, it was- the redheaded stepchild of Hollywood. Yeah, I'm used to it, but like, I I just wish like, those could have, but sometimes like the supporting roles, like that's where you get the genre characters in there. You know, like that's how Heath Ledger got in for Dark Knight. You know what I mean? So some, and and like uh, Anthony Hopkins for Silence of the Lambs, right? So- Remember, Silence of the Lambs, it went from horror which is a dirty word in Hollywood to thriller, which was like that is true. It is a, it which was, was highly thriller. controversial at the time, by the way. That is but, true. Yes, but, but I mean that. But I just wish I kind of wish that it, they would have gotten a little more attention, just because they were very good performances. Yes. Okay, everybody, that's gonna wrap up part one of Oscar Mania 2017 here on Force Perspective. And that'll also wrap up episode 88. Any questions, comments, feedback, just send an email to fpmpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at fpmoviepodcast. Um, as far as plugs this week, I mean, you'll get all the plugs at the end of part two, which we will drop next week. Part two, we will focus on our personal, including myself, Adolfo's, and Draven's best of 2016 and the worst of 2016 so that's going to be a fun show great discussion we spent almost two hours just on that part of the of the show alone so it's going to be a great discussion fun ride we hope you return for that um after that we will have in a couple weeks after next week's episode airs we will drop our oscar uh post oscar show where we talk about the ceremony whether we agree with the winners um and all of that stuff and then we have some fun stuff planned in the coming weeks especially uh, some uh retro Retro reviews, which we're very excited about, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Uh, and that's going to do it for us here on Forest Perspective. Uh, on behalf of Adolfo and Draven on Sports Guy 515, thank you so much for joining us this week, and until next time, we are out of here. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.